mic, camera, action. Okay? Yeah, I'm fine, mate. Don't worry about it. You all right? Enjoy LA. Welcome back to Filmography, the show dedicated to watching every credited film for an actor's complete back catalogue from past debut through to present day in chronological order. Each episode, I'm joined by an esteemed guest or guests to watch and discuss the next entry from the Focus Filmography and consider how it ranks amidst their career and whether we can trace any typecasting trends or topic traits or theatrical ticks. For episode nine, I'm joined by the Dream Team M&M to discuss the ninth and briefest appearance of the state in Collateral. We watch, you listen, and hopefully watch along too. So Mike, Megan, thank you so much for agreeing to appear on the show to discuss this classy cruiser man thriller that somewhat also stars the state. <laughs> Can't blink because you'll miss it, won't you? <laughs> it was one of those things, and obviously thank you so much for having us on the show, and I will just warn any... Um listeners and things if you hear weird sounds in the background it's because we recently got a puppy and she is starting to settle on things but we're having to record downstairs in the lounge so i'm going to try and be clever with my mic muting but if you hear a couple of cage rattles it's not in your imagination listeners it's it's because we've locked someone in the the house (laughs) it's not a weird new fetish you're revealing on the show no no exactly not um but yeah it's um yeah, and you may hear the, the puppy whining as well, which is happening right now. I said as soon as we start recording, <laughs> it would be a thing. Be but <laughs> we'll be fine. Um, but yeah, collateral. I mean, I'd not even, obviously, I'd not even seen it mm-hmm. or anything like that. I did blink and not see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it happened, I was like. Mike was like, I'm pretty sure that was him. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I checked on IMDb because when people vaguely were talking about uh, in Discord, like well, they didn't spoil it or anything, but there was little hints mm-hmm. of the states. Um, appearance in collateral either being really big or really small so i went on imdb and i was like because when i looked up collateral i was like, oh i've never he- even heard of this film and it's got tom cruise which it's, it's quite rare to have not heard of a tom cruise movie mm-hmm. um so went into it and things and imdb and i was like oh and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and he's not there and you're like, okay so you click see all and i think he's literally the last person on the whole of IMDb. I was like, is he even in this film? Is it just going to be a cameo? Like, not. But I think, am I right in thinking with uh, Back to Filmography, you don't count cameos or do you? I don't count uncredited appearances. No, so no. Fast and Furious 6, maybe, when he's in it right at the end, the mm. setup is going to be the, the antagonist in 7. Like, that won't count because he's uncredited. But here, despite his briefest of briefest appearances <laughs> it's on his uh it's on his filmography so we have to watch it and talk about it yeah it was i think his name on imdb when i really clocked was 
He's called Airport Man. Mm. And I was like, okay, he hasn't even got a name. <laughs> but we'll get into it because there's lots of fan theories about it and lots of casting theories. And I think that's probably where we'll have to go for this episode. Like the film itself, I do really like, mm. but we can't talk about it a lot as a Jason Statham film, obviously. Mm. We can obviously talk about it as being a good film, but there was cast members about what he might have done in the film. And then there's been these, like I say, fan theories about what his actual role is within the film compared to other other characters he's portrayed previously and following this role too. So I think that's how we'll we'll, we'll turn it into enough of a Statham chat because otherwise we're already done. That's it. We might as well stop the podcast. And <laughs> I was going to ask uh, with uh, with the back to the filmography thing. I don't know if you, if you don't want to inadvertently spoil your own show, but mm. is this of all the films apart from? the fast six which you i think said was uncredited is this the film that he's the least in from because you've seen the vast majority of the Satan films haven't you so is this the film he's the least in it must be yeah i mean like i say without like you say without you know before we get to the end of this journey Mm. i can't i can't say how he'd been anything any less than this because even his first role he was one of the four like main characters in lock stock it was a role written for him so Mm. yeah i think it's a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? You know, you're Jason Statham at this point in his career, he's still building. Like this is his biggest budget and his biggest box office success, which I know we can't put down to him, but he's still building his career. It's only his ninth appearance, and it's Michael Mann who's previously directed Heat. I mean, like his other things as well, but Heat was the big, the big success he'd had up until this point, and that was with De Niro and Pacino. It's with Tom Cruise. You don't say no, do you? No, exactly. That's one of those things. It, it's kind of weird because him being the front runner in certain movies and mm. then suddenly being such a backseat in this one, and it's just because of the the kind of scale of the movie itself. It's that's one of those weird things about Hollywood. You could be like I, probably Kevin Smith movies. I think are probably one of a good parallel to that, which is if you, and also certain Adam Sandler movies where it's like. You watch those types of movies, or even Seth Rogen movies, which I got into a lot in my teen years. I was like, oh, everyone knows these actors. They're so famous because they're in every one of these Judd Apatow films. It's like, no, they're in these ones because you work with someone you like, they do a good job, all that sort of stuff. Obviously, Guy Ritchie did that. Mm. Wes Anson does that, but he's got a much bigger thing now. So it's one of those odd things, which is like, in a certain circle, in like Kevin Smith, you go, oh yeah, all the, everyone knows all the actors in the Kevin Smith movies, you know, Jason Mewes. You talk to a lot of people who wouldn't class themselves as movie buffs and they don't even know who kevin smith is right yeah so it's a lot very long way of me saying rambly nonsense really <laughs> and megan's laugh is a green <laughs> standard in terms of this one though megan you'd seen it is that right this one no 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 what was the one that i have seen um, trans- we, do you want us to tell no, what films yeah. we've seen Let's well, do there it. You go. we went through imdb so um, I've actually, mine's actually incorrect, but there's, um, you've seen seven out of the 54. Were there, are there 54? I went on IMDb, but took away two for the first two, but. I've got a count of 41 currently, because I think IMDb counts like everything. So even like you, you mentioned before we started recording, like music video appearances, which he's obviously got a few, it counts all of those as being part of their filmography. So in terms of like mainstream films where he's credited at the moment, it's 41 with the two that are coming out soon. By the time I finish, we'll probably go up to 43. Mm, yeah okay that's fine i knew i because there were 56 i think on imdb but i saw the first two was one was that eurasia video and the other mm. one so that makes me feel slightly less bad mm-hmm. um but there's yours megan if you can read my writing no you should be able to read the writing can't you or do you need your glasses, glasses um i've seen lock stock i have seen snatch before this 
I hadn't seen Collateral, but obviously mm-hmm. now I have. Um, I've seen The Transporter, but I watched that like years ago. Mm. Like literally, the only thing that I can remember about that movie is that there are loads of different number plates. That's mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's it. <laughs> um, that is accurate to that movie, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have seen The Pink Panther, which I won't be covering because he's not credited. Ah, is he not? No. Ah, see, that was on IMDb. Hmm, that was. So as as in like he's in it, but then it, it, there's a little bit in brackets that will say like, so it's when actors kind of turn up, they get they they have to get paid because you have to according to Actors Guild, but they they don't really want to. They they do it as a favor for a mate usually. So there right, must be okay. somebody behind the scenes of that movie or in it that he's friends with. Right. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen Spy and The Meg. Oh yes. Yes. Well, the Meg will be. They're the ones that I've seen at the very least. Another appearance of us two. Mm. Um, because I think that's, that might have been one of the first films we went to the cinema to see. No, let's not spoil the. Let's not spoil <laughs> any of that. Well, that's going to be way <laughs> down the line. Because I remember when we, you know you were organising this and you were asking certain people what do you want to do, and I was like, I want to be in the Meg, and you're like, Can you be in anything a bit sooner? Yeah, yeah. That's about two years away. And I was like, Yeah, yeah. let's <laughs> let's take a look. Um, so Megan, excluding Pink Panther, and Megan seen six, including Collateral, and then I. If you remove Fast and Furious 6, mm-hmm. I've only seen 8. So I've seen Lockstock as well. I've seen Snatch as well. Obviously, I've seen The Meg as well. Um, and Collateral. I've seen Death Race, which I really liked. Mm. I saw it ages ago. I thought that was uh, brilliant. Um, and then I've seen Blitz, which I really didn't like. Really not a fan okay. of Blitz. Yeah. Scott's um, coming on to that one. So we'll, we'll yeah, see he was you... quite excited to do it. Mm. And Scott, Scott is... Not in any flaw of him, but he's uh, he's quite critical of movies, which is mm-hmm, fine because mm-hmm. a lot of people um, who are film buffs are critical. Critical. I'm kind of a film buff who's quite an apologist. I think being a prequel fan, it just means that I'm very forgiving for most things that happen in movies. And he loved it, and I was like, clearly I've missed something because mm-hmm. I watched that film by myself, and I was like, this is boring. Why is Littlefinger doing this? And then it kind <laughs> of ended. Um, but uh, and then I've seen uh, Fast and Furious up to eight and obviously he's uncredited or it's cameo or whatever in six post credit scene whatever and then seven and eight i've seen mm-hmm. i've not seen hobbs and shaw or nine mm. um so i've seen eight and megan's seen six um but you've seen transporter which is one of his big yeah but again that was a long time ago but i haven't even seen that. i didn't i i didn't choose it it was i was on holiday in france at my mum's friend's house and my brother wanted to watch it so we watched it Hmm. And yeah, as I said, the only thing I can remember is something to do with multiple number plates. <laughs> One thing that's funny about the the Stath is I remember, I can't remember what DVD it was. It must have been Star Wars or, no, it wouldn't have been Star Wars. I basically, I remember watching a film, maybe it was Watchmen, on DVD and it had unskippable uh, trailers. Oh, so annoying. It drives me mental. Uh, it's like unskippable cutscenes of <laughs> video games. It's like, what are you doing? You know, especially when you're playing it again on New Game Plus. Like, I've already yeah. seen this. Um, but I remember specifically seeing i've seen the trailer for crank mm-hmm. and crank i think it was just crank 2 actually i think i've seen the trailer for that probably about 15 times and i've never seen the movie <laughs> so i've just the main thing i think about with statham the first thing i think of is crank 2 high voltage but i've never seen it or anything like that i didn't even know it was a sequel because mm-hmm. i thought it was like one of those because uh, the way the trailer is it's so over the top and stuff yeah. it almost felt like it was kind of a joke in itself, calling it crank to high voltage, almost like the crank mm-hmm. to high voltage. So, um, yeah, another ramble. Yeah, I didn't realise there was such a hype about 
Jason Statham. You should have said the state. That was yeah. a perfect opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I until you wanted to, we watched... but you took your, you stopped yourself. I could see. I it, hesitated so. because I feel yeah. like I, sh- I, sh- I don't deserve it. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I until the other day didn't realize that the state was a thing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I'm not entitled to to say it because I don't really care that much. <laughs> well, it's weird because you you saw his very beginnings. Which he's not quite what, um, as Jack has slowly been defining over the show as the state. But I find he is. Well, actu- when you say the beginning, it's Lockstock. Yeah, that was his first film. But Lockstock and two, two Smoking Barrels, that's yeah. what it's called, isn't it? And Snatch, again, weren't films that I actively chose to watch. But they they're were, brilliant, though, aren't they? They were films. Yeah, but we watched one of them recently, didn't we? Yeah, we watched Snatch, I think. Yeah, I literally have no recollection of, of what <laughs> happens, apart from is it Brad Pitt talks with an accent Gypsy. that I can't understand, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, oh, I love Good, that's a good excuse. I love what Megan <laughs> says she can't remember movies, because it's like, get to watch them again. It's, yeah. literally, it's literally every movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> apart from Star Wars, Harry Potter. Because <laughs> you see them, like, yeah. so many times. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't realise that he was such, like, a... A well, big thing. Well, I was going to say with the Meg. Once again, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but um, with that sounds like you are, Michael. With the Meg, he is full name. What... There, <laughs> <laughs> I don't call her the. That would be me. I don't call her Meg either. I never call yeah, you. It's because I called you Michael. You call... Oh, you call me Michael. All oh, right. Yeah, that does happen sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I didn't catch that. It's clearly she does it so often. <laughs> it's just like normal for me. Also, I hear the I hear Mike. I hear the first half of my name and tune out the rest. Um, but with the Meg, it's in that film he's kind of the most statham almost for me in a way of like he's got his career known almost as the stath as you've uh-huh. been defining in uh-huh. the show and then by that point he's like a parody of himself which is why i loved it so much but megan had no experience of that mm. even though she really liked it so that's gonna be i just wanted to say it because it's my name that is literally she saw the trailer oh. i was like it's my name let's go watch it and i was like <laughs> you want to watch a giant shark film with jason statham she's like yeah i was like i didn't think i'd ever be able to convince you it's me. <laughs> to go to the cinema for I'm, that i'm the meg yeah, we won't say anyway, what we think about it. Anyway, we're, we're you're, you're taking us off on a tangent. I'm sorry, it's not even my show. No, no but I mean, show. we're here for the tangents, and we're here to hear you two. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think? Like the safe? Do you have any opinions on him as an actor or anything? Do you even do you even vaguely remember who he is? <laughs> yeah, I know he's bald. <laughs> he's like he tall, he's tall. <laughs> no, not in every film. He's tall, stocky, and he's mm-hmm. bald, isn't he? He's like really muscly. He's pretty. He, I think he's more very, very chiselled because, like, really muscly. Like I think the rock. I'm, I'm picturing like <laughs> the Rock, <laughs> the Rock with Jason Statham's head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, to be fair, quite... like the two of them are the only two. Really, like, we've had this discussion on the show. The only two kind of action heroes we've got now. So for you to be putting them in the same category is totally correct. They're the only two that really carry on that tradition that we had. We had in the 80s and the, and the 90s of these kind of like. You said it, Mike. These these people who play almost kind of play themselves, play like a variation on this character they've created. And I think the Rock and the Stath, they're both they're both going to get the definitive article. Definitive article. Yeah, they do that. Him in the Meg. So I was showing Meg on a picture. Yeah, he's, of him. he's pretty ripped. He's ri- he is very. I know ripped. that I know that some people go bloody nuts for him. He's a very good looking chap. Like there are there are people that I've spoken to at work, and like Jason Statham is there, like. Number one, then then number one mm. person that they find attractive out of everyone. To be fair, I think he's also like a really nice guy. Like he plays mm. as a hard man a lot of the time, but there's not really, from my recollection, there's never any controversy with him. A lot of time, you get someone who plays a hard man like Vin Diesel, and there's a lot of things that buzz around. That he's a bit of an asshole. He, mm. He's English, isn't he? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of Jason Statham, I just think of like a Cockney accent. Which Whenever I... is correct, but we're considering he's from not from there. He's like from Norfolk and he's from I can't remember where he was born, but then he moved to like Norfolk and went to school Vinnie Jones. And yeah, who knows where this Cockney accent came from? <laughs> whenever I think I just, whenever I hear Jason Statham, I hear him saying his name, but I don't think he's ever said his name, but I just hear him go, Jason Statham mm. with an F, not with a TH. But Absolutely. I don't, I don't think he's ever said that. I don't think I've ever heard him say his name, especially not his full name, unless it's maybe an interview, but I don't think I've watched any interviews with him. So I don't know where it's come from, this weird Jason Statham stuff. Maybe it's just his charming looks. Yeah. Well, it's the cat. It's, it's part of that character he's created, isn't it? So mm. I was just looking at now as you guys are talking. So he's from Derbyshire, and then he moved to, I think it was like Suffolk or Norfolk, and then suddenly he's in Guy Ritchie movies playing this Cockney gangster type guy. But it's stuck with him, isn't it? He's kept that accent from since somebody told him to stop trying to be American, which you've experienced, Megan, in Transporter, with his core blimey. Yeah, I, 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 uh, no, I, I have experienced it, mm. but I don't recall. <laughs> Mike is right, though. You've hit really interesting points in his career because Lock, Stock and Snatch, he was a guy finding his feet and learning how to be an actor. Transporter is the first proper The State movie where it's like, I'm a badass, I can fight, I'm bald. <laughs> and then The Meg, as you said, Mike, is kind of this like, almost a parody almost a caricature of the role that he's now fallen and become really comfortable in and what i like on top of all of these things that we've already said is that he just owns it Mm. i think that's what i like about him he doesn't care he has fun he's like my life is bloody great i get to show off my skills every day he tries to do most of his own stunts as much as he's allowed Mm. i get to do martial arts i get to star in films like he's got no complaints really and he doesn't care that it's like He's almost typecast now. He's like, well, why would I care? Like, I'm still doing something I love. Yeah. I also like it when people do their own stunts. When you hear that people do their own stunts. I think that's nice. Like... Well, Tom uh, Cruise, right into this film. He does mm. so many of his own stunts. Yeah, and um, uh, Chris Pratt wanted to do a lot of his own stunts in a lot of stuff. I I like it when the actor takes, like, the onus of that role and wants to do as much as they can with it well i was gonna say one comparison i haven't heard on the show yet and i've listened to every episode so thank you sir uh, unless the one that's been <laughs> recorded because obviously the last one as of recording this am i allowed to yeah of course so, yeah, yeah um transport i think was the last one that was released mm. so there's i think one or two between that from here to the italian job yeah between right there we go um so if someone said that in this then that makes it sound like i, <laughs> I was just listening to another podcast and didn't um but he's almost like our keanu reeves in mm. a weird way because Keanu Reeves in his earliest career, you know, he got Bill and Ted and that sort of stuff. And he did like a rom-com or two. But then he just, when he became famous enough, he A, has never been any controversy. He's always been mm. a lovely person. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves, especially the recent uh, in internet days. Recently, he's just boomed. But from about 15, probably about Matrix, actually. So probably about 20 years ago now. From that point, he was just like, I don't really need to prove myself as an actor in this. That I just love, and you hear how passionate he is when he talks in interviews, Keanu Reeves. He's like, he loves his own stunts. He loves action movies. And he loves um, the term from uh, John Wick is gung fu. Mm. So is you know, shooting and doing martial arts, that sort of stuff. And it's like, when you see, when you watch a Keanu Reeves movie now, you watch John Wick or you watch any of these sort of other ones, you know exactly what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And because he does all his own stunts as well, and there's no controversy... 
I'm only now making that connection that Statham is almost like our little Keanu. Obviously, mm. personality-wise, they've actually got a lot of similarities, but I don't think that's a connection I've ever even considered or heard anyone make. It, they're both actually quite similar because Keanu's almost... He's not quite the action hero mm-hmm. like The Rock is or Statham is to that degree. He's almost like... Kind of like a martial... Not quite a martial arts hero, but he kind of is. He's like an action... But not a martial artist. You know, I'm kind of waffling, but <laughs> Megan's nodding. <laughs> no, it is an interesting comparison, and it isn't one that's been made, so you can claim that one. That's definitely 100% yours. First in. <laughs> no, I like that. And I think he's a, he is another person, as you, as you said, who does like to do as much as he can. I agree with you, Megan. I think it's in, important in terms of adding a sense of, of place and time and, and very similitude of it, feeling real when an actor wants to do that i think we should honor what stunt people do as well because what they do is amazing you know in raiders lost ark that's one of my favorite movies and you've got indiana jones being dragged under the truck just not going to get harrison ford a to do that and b you're not going to be allowed to do that so you need that stuntman who's willing to but i agree with you when there's people like Stath, cruz keanu reeves i didn't know that about chris Pratt, but chris pratt people who are willing to go that extra mile to make that scene look realistic that, that's really important mm. it's, it's one of those things of tom cruise where because of the whole scientology stuff you know and I, i've seen a few documentaries on scientology and it's obviously got some very clear problems with it but most religions do so i'm not going to mm. delve into that but i really wanted to dislike him because of the whole scientology stuff and the issues with the church but Every person, and Simon Pegg is someone who I really respect, obviously because it's based in the Kaneo trilogy and everything. And obviously he wrote the last three uh, Mission Impossible films, or at least co-wrote them, was involved in the production in some way other than just being an actor. And he said in interviews, people have asked him, what's Tom Cruise like? And he's like, Tom Cruise is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He meets everyone on set. He learns everyone's names. He remembers things about you. If you just say an offhand comment, he looks you in the eyes. He's very polite. He's very professional. He's a phenomenal actor and everything. And it's like... I want to, this sounds bad, but it's almost like I want to dislike you because of the association with this problematic Mm. organization, but every single other part of your life, excluding the couple of crazy TV appearances he did in, you know, decades ago, he's just, he's a brilliant actor. He's in some brilliant movies. He does some of his own stunts. And I watched the behind the scenes thing of something for Mission Impossible where he was uh, attached with a harness, but it was on a either a plane or a helicopter taking off. Mm-hmm. And he was climbing on the side of it, and he literally did that. And the only thing is, they CGI'd out the the connect his harness thing. Yeah. that was connected to the thing with it. And you're like, that is bananas. And you hear Tom Cruise in interviews, and he's like, I just love action movies, and the more I can do myself, the more I feel in it, and the more passionate I am. And I'm just like echoing what Megan said. It's just one of those things where I really respect them because you know being an actor is not necessarily easy, but you get, for the most part, the, the top-end ones get overpaid for it. Mm-hmm. But when you hear someone, regardless of whether or not you still think they're overpaid, they're really trying as hard as they can to do everything possible to make the movie experience and their own better, and they're really passionate about it, it makes me more passionate about them as well. It makes mm-hmm. me want to love their movies more, which I think Statham does as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the equivalent of, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I mean. This is when whenever I come onto these podcasts, people are like, "Yeah, we want to listen to Megan," and I'm like, "But I don't understand why." Because the majority of the time, it is when word answers. <laughs> They're like, "What do you think?" Yeah, it's all right. Because <laughs> you have the thing is, I am the problem is I uh, verbally waterboard people, and in amidst all of that sort of waterfall of vocals and words, 
there's little nuggets of things that are quite cool <laughs> or, or interesting and stuff. Whereas with you, it's kind of the opposite. You don't say as much as I do, but almost everything you say is precise and in somewhat insightful or very funny. Mm. So you're just like the you're. I'm the raw, uncut version, and you're the you're, you're, you're the, the Schne- you're the Schneider cut. Schneider, <laughs> Rob <laughs> Schneider cut. That's his name, isn't Schneider. it? Schneider. Oh, whatever. It's Rob same, Schneider. Same <laughs> the Rob Schneider cut. <laughs> That's a film I'd like to see. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I am um, in between. I, I I release fortnightly, and in between, I always do like a little audio clip of the the previous episode. So I already uh, timestamp what we've just had. All it's going to be is Megan going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be that entire like. Make sure you tune in this week for the, the discussion of collateral. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need anything else. That's it. That's all we need. One thing I find funny about your show as well is um, whenever you say uh, Mike camera uh, sorry mike lights camera action mike what, what at the, you have broken you haven't listened to this podcast <laughs> it sounds like i'm talking nonsense at the start of his show he says you know instead of lights camera action yeah jack says three other things but one of the things he says is mike so every time i start the podcast there's a second gap and i hear mike and i'm like what <laughs> every single time it's it's terrible that's what i was trying to say but I kept catching myself up. <laughs> and then you me kept hearing Mike and keep thinking somebody was talking to you, yeah. didn't you? I hear it in the microphone. And I'm like, oh, someone's <laughs> saying my name. Ooh, well, I'm, like, um, I'm like Doug from Up when someone, with Squirrel. Mm. And that's me with my own name. <laughs> Which is not ha- helpful having one of the most common names on the planet. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway. Look. I know we were, all, we, we were waiting for the air to be filled by a Megan Nugget then, weren't we? I was about yeah. to say... Yep, again. <laughs> the classic Megan Nuggets. So, Mike, I just want to see what would happen. Um, <laughs> it mentioned watching Clatterall, Megan, and you went, all right. Yeah. And then you watched it. Yeah. And let's put the stafe aside for a minute. We'll come back to him. I think well, that was a really nice intro and opening on the stafe. We'll come back to his whole one minute of screen time. <laughs> Initial thoughts on the film itself? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I actually quite liked it. I, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I thought it was smart. I did think at, at times it was a bit, like, slow, mm. I think is the word that I'll use. Um, but as a as a film, I thought it was quite good. It was an interesting concept. Um, but, yeah. I also just think it was kind of, like, marginally unrealistic at the same time, which kind of, like dips it a little bit for me because mm-hmm. i don't i'm not a massive fan of films that are like overly weird uh or like not very re- i mean it sounds ridiculous because i love harry potter and obviously i, I love star wars as well which they're, they're not realistic but because this is in our world mm. it just seems very over the top so at points i was like come on mm. <laughs> but i i did enjoy the film yeah, you're oh, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was just, I was literally about to defend you and you defended yourself that they are set worlds and as long as they live within their own rules, they establish. Yeah. Then it's, then it, you can accept it. So I get what you mean, because this is based in reality. Yeah. And is aiming to look real. Like the look of the film, the cinematography is aiming to represent like this could be a normal night in LA. This could have happened last night. Yeah, it's a fair comment. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed this because um, we, um, I've tried to start 
rating things on IMDb now. Um, sometimes at a protest, because I watch a film and go, that was amazing. What's it on IMDb? Six. I'd only mm. give it an eight, but I'm going to give it a ten to boost those numbers up. Um, so I didn't quite do that with Collateral. Um, I think I gave it like a seven. But it, it was one of those films where we both kind of said seven and a half-ish. I think mm-hmm. we were kind of... I'd agree with basically everything Megan said. There were parts that just felt... It felt like parts could have been cut a bit. It felt like... I wouldn't necessarily say slow, but there was a couple of scenes that occurred. And they the scene itself goes on for almost too long. It felt like someone, another uh, editor needs to come in and just kind of trim the fat in a sense. Just a few minutes off a scene here and there. Um, I thought the action was good. Obviously, Cruz was great. So was Jamie uh, Foxx and things and um, Mark Ruffalo as well. But it was, I think, the main scene where it kind of went a bit off the rails was when... Because it felt like it was all going to be very grounded and realistic like megan kind of was saying and i was like oh this is the concept's really good and it's you know hitman and a, a taxi driver it's quite it's not necessarily that unique but it's kind of mm. it's, it's intriguing you're like oh they could do quite a lot of cool things with this and for the first half it's like this is exactly what i kind of wanted is them trying to escape and getting away and then halfway through it's just kind of blown open and then there's like a full-on shootout and i was like eh. and then megan kept saying why do they not get rid of the taxi and obviously it's because they had the body in but it, it was how the police kept not getting them mm. for so long. And you're like, how many broken, how many taxis with broken windshields are Th- there? This is the thing, like, in in my head, as soon as that taxi had a body in it, just leave the taxi or just get destroy the taxi, do something to the taxi. You've got a dead body in the back. You have, like, a shattered windscreen and you've got blood on the car. Like, he's obviously got a... Is this wait? Is this a spoiler one or is it not spoiler? No, yes, yeah, f- full spoilers. Just yeah. Okay. <laughs> so obviously he's got this massive list of people that he needs to kill, doesn't mm-hmm. he? So, like by that logic, why would you be driving around in a vehicle that's like not uh, incognito? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, really it's very glaring. It's a glaring issue there. <laughs> it's really interesting. I'm gonna I'll do a little bit of fence sitting because obviously, same as you guys, you know, do some reading around it and. I used to have a really big issue with the ending, which I'm sure we can come on to, but through doing some more research on it, I think it's been explained to me in a way that I'm happy to accept. But in terms of what you're saying, the the sense of like incognito, I like that word of like, he should be more hidden. He's theoretically, or it seems like he's one of the best hitmen in the world, right? He's been called in to this really special job. But I think you come to learn through the movie that Vincent, the Tom Cruise character, I wouldn't say he has a death wish, but I think he enjoys that thrill, doesn't he? Mm. There's a little look in his eye, like in that in that um, club fever scene you were talking about before. There's a little moment that Cruise gives you where he's kind of like, yeah, this is the shit I'm really down for. Like it, like his night's been boring up until this point. It's been too easy for him. So I don't know if he's almost inviting on a little bit more danger, if he's... It may be something I've read into it myself. I, it's not something I've, I think I've particularly read, you know, from the director, from Cruz or anything. I don't know. There just seems to be a little bit of like, he, he is a character seems to come more alive the longer the movie goes on. Hmm. So I wonder if he, he was a bit bored with his life or. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. And it's, it's funny because we're actually watching um, Buffy at the moment. Obviously, mm. you're one of the season's greetings, gentlemen. Um, no spoilers. Uh, because we're on series six. Um, so we're, you know, I've seen it before. So I know what's coming down. We're getting near the end, but I, I don't know anything that happens. And obviously, mm. our, our, uh, our dog 
is named after a certain character on that, but I can't say their name. I think Jack can, but if I say it, then that certain little creature will wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean Willow? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we we both love uh, Buffy and things, but uh, there's a point in the show, which we just kind of passed a little bit, where there's a point where Buffy doesn't really want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of got that thing where she's throwing herself into certain situations and being a lot more reckless because she's kind of almost like... I don't care if I live or die. And I think it's weird watching this at that time um, mm. where there's that, you saying that's kind of clicked with me. I'm like, that does actually sound like it would, would make sense. Um, but I would also say with this film, was this in New York or LA or it was LA. LA yeah. LAPD was Mark Ruffalo fanning. Um, I've, I mean, I've not ever been to LA, but from what I understand, is it ever actually that empty? Because mm-hmm. I was a past where you've got the um, the taxi driving, oh, yeah, and there's literally time. not a car on the road, and you're mm. like, the thing what? is that LA is pretty big, right? LA is massive, like so. Los Angeles, you've been is, to, like, yeah, I've I have, been I have been to LA. It is huge. Mm. So you've obviously got that one area, but then there's areas within that area. So by I don't know, well, it just seemed like it was in one of the more built up places, especially towards the end. Mm-hmm. There's the, mm-hmm. the car crash scene. And that is no sort of cars. four o'clock in the morning, I think, at that point, isn't oh, it? Oh, is it? Oh, that might explain it a bit. But even then, I, I would have, even in a city like that, because we live in Southampton, which is not not quite London or that thing, but there's, it's quite densely populated mm-hmm. for a UK city. And you, even at 4am, there's still you still see something. There's normally, you see a vehicle or two, mm. and it was just that car crash scene. And it's two, uh, what was it, four or five lanes on either side of the road sort of thing. And he completely wipe out, and not a single vehicle was seen for about what ten minutes when the police comes by and all that stuff. Mm. And I'm like, I know it's a film, and it's kind of one of those things you just have to kind of go, oh, that road was just really busy, uh, not re- just really empty. It was not a very popular road, but there are a tiny moments like that which I think weaken the film a little bit, mm. where it just feels like if this film was a bit tighter, if you had a maybe, um, I don't know who the director is, um, Michael Mann. Oh, you said it early, didn't you? Heat. Um, but if it had someone, this is just my personal preference, almost like um, James Cameron in the sense of how anal and specific about details they are, or maybe to some degree uh, T- Tarantino. I don't know. No, the film would be completely different if it was Tarantino. But like an, a director that is so keen on the details, I feel like this film could have been held in very very high regard because i think at its core and the vast majority of the elements work really well Mm. there's just a couple of moments or a couple of scenes that just take you out a little bit and i think that that might be why you'd never heard this film had you no we never heard of it Mm. so it was like when that's one of the reasons i chose it i was like never heard of this well i checked on imdb to make sure it wasn't like a (laughs) two out of ten well actually if it was a two i'd have watched it if it was a five i probably (laughs) would have chose something else yeah no, it's really interesting that, that I'd never picked up on that before. So that's something for me to think about and process. And next time I watch it, I'll have that in mind. I think, funnily enough, Michael Mann is quite an obsessive compulsive director. He's oh. not quite Fincher levels of, you know, that's 70, 80 of. takes. Yeah. But he is somebody who asks quite a lot of his actors in terms of rehearsal and performance and then and takes to get it to the right point. And also... I've never been to LA, so I, I can't comment either. Like, we'll, we'll take Megan's word on it as somebody who, who's been there and knows. This was celebrated when it came out in terms of its depiction of LA because it was showing it as being a real place rather than, you know, mm. you know, when you get like the film goes to Paris, like, here's the Eiffel Tower. It, <laughs> it doesn't do the Hollywood sign. It doesn't do all the usual spots mm. that anywhere would do. It does the back streets. It does the grimy. It does the, 
you know you know the the strange like um like mexican cowboy club and all these other parts of la that you you don't really think about being there and don't exist this film chose to show those so i'm not saying you're wrong i'm not saying what i've read is right to their opinion (laughs) yeah exactly i I think it's really interesting that that those are the things for you you felt felt drew you out and it 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 can still be flawed even if it's him trying to depict la in a different way doesn't mean that he's done that completely right Mm, yeah i i think i think the car crash and maybe somewhat the ending and um and the kind of the there's the things which is plot armor you know which happens in this quite a lot where you've got tom cruise in a shootout and he basically comes out completely unscathed and it's a bit like the action scenes it was a bit it's a bit choppy inside that shootout in the club thing and for for about 30 seconds i was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) but that's just a lot of action because yeah, also there's a bit there's a bit where he shoots loads of people and obviously he's just shot a load of people in that club and then he just walks out yeah like just everyone's screaming around him and there's mm. chaos and then he's just walking out like nothing's happened i'm like how has a bouncer not tackled him to the ground like obviously he's just killed a load of people but there must be other people that are like watching this and he's just strolling well, the out are there aren't they because yeah Fanning's well yeah there. well yeah mm. r.i.p uh, uh, yeah we'll get to, actually we'll get to that in a second i think that's a really interesting point of this movie and again something we'll circle back to is the casting of tom cruise like it's really hard to cast him in anything because he brings star water right he brings the cruise smile and they try to downplay that here i don't think he's tom cruisey at all in terms of his what you'd expect him to be in his performance style but also like, his styling is like he's the gray man isn't he like his hair's gray his beard's gray his suit's gray I didn't recognize him at first. Right. Okay. I like I I recognized the actor and I was like who is that? And Mike was like it's Tom Cruise and I was like oh. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> I was like all right, fine. <laughs> I thought he looked like a very obviously Tom Cruise is a very attractive man anyway. He's very handsome. Um but like when I saw him with the silver hair I was like you can't make this man look bad mm. apart from in Tropic Thunder. I was like you can't you cannot make this guy look bad. <laughs> He's just with gray hair. I'd argue he almost looks better. Mm-hmm. But it's just like this guy <laughs> that's what i thought when i saw him i agree i think that's for me that's the biggest issue of this movie is that he's meant to blend so mm. backing up what you guys were saying about you know he's leaving the club and he's sort of blending in and you get tom cruise doesn't blend in anyway it doesn't matter what style you put him in even even when he's all gray he's, he doesn't blend so yeah i agree that i think that's an issue with the movie mm. yeah but i will clarify because i i do this quite a long podcast i'm very critical of movies and then at the end i'll go I bloody loved it. Yeah. Did you? Like all the Star Wars podcasts I've done about all the Star Wars movies, I just shredded Star Wars for ages. <laughs> and it's like, no, they're some of my favourite movies, but flawed. But I suppose that when you've got something you really like, you can only kind of say, this bit was amazing. And everyone goes, yes, it was. I like how that happened. And then you, the criticisms, especially when everyone doesn't always believe the same exact thing, mm. you know, it's, which is one of the reasons I love this show. I, I love movie podcasts um, when they've got the right theme. <clears throat> But with yours, I, I'm really enjoying every time it comes out. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, especially even when I haven't even uh, seen the film. Anyway, I'm just <laughs> Vegas. Give me the look again. I'm not looking at you I'm any joking. particular I'm, way. I'm just when joking. he's in full complimentary mode, we don't need the look or the full <laughs> Michael. That's fine. Let him go. Let him go. <laughs> I do. I, I love the show. I think it's a brilliant, very clever idea. Uh, even if you just say my name, at, uh, that's probably why I like it so much because I hear my name at the start of every podcast. I'm like, oh, it's aimed at me, isn't it? <laughs> Let's talk about Fanning because you mentioned it. What do you think of Ruffalo in the in the role? So he's the cop. He's kind of on the the dogged cop on the trail. And I think it's another thing. I'll cycle back to something you guys said before. I don't know why I'm saying cycle back a lot today. It, it's in my head, obviously. <laughs> taxi back. Yeah, taxi back. Thank you. That um, 
this is quite tropey, this movie. I don't think it's, you said it's not unique. I agree, Mark, it's not unique at all. In fact, I think it's purposefully playing with genre tropes of you know, kind of cop movies and noir and, and Fanning is that dogged cop on the trail. What did you think of him and his performance and then what they chose to do with him? Because you like Ruffalo, don't you? I, I do like Ruffalo. I have a particular fondness, like, fondness towards Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah, he had like that accent and I was like, is Mark Ruffalo, like we were like, I was like, is he... Italian and then I was like in my head then I had this whole thing and I was like I need to look it up online I was like is Mark Ruffalo <laughs> Italian and he is so mm, okay. just, just his, I think his dad his is heritage com- is Italian he's got ans- like I Italian think his, his dad was com- is full Italian both his parents are but I think his mum was I it was think- like French Italian or something yeah or something so he's else. like three quarters Italian but then. he had like that accent in this in this film I liked his character I, I think he was a good character and it made me sad that he got shot Mm. It happened so quickly as well. That was like almost yeah, the, it was, the Statham appearance. Well, that's the thing is that it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, this guy, the taxi driver, finally has like a little glimpse. Was his name Max? Mm-hmm. I've, I've written it down there, but yes. yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's like so. Max, I was like, he has this glimpse. This guy believes that he's not done anything wrong. He's protecting him. He gets him out, and then Vincent's like, pow, 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 and then he's like, oh well, I saved your life. He's like, well, no, actually, you just fucked everything up. <laughs> he made everything worse again. Um, yeah, I was. It was a shame. He he wasn't in it for a, nearly long enough. I really liked his character. I think his character. I mean, I think all the actors in this uh, mm-hmm. are stellar. Like all of, I, I would say that in this film, for me personally, I never felt like any of the acting brought mm-hmm. the film down. None of that brought me out of it. Everyone from the smaller roles, Javier Bardem and Jada Pinkett Smith, to a degree, but then. Ruffalo and uh, Jamie Foxx. It was is Jada Pinkett. It's Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is she? Was she in this? The only woman in the whole film. She's oh, the well. lawyer. Who's Javier but... Bardem. Huh? Who's that? Javier Bardem. No, I know who he is, but was he in the film? He was the club owner who, uh, when Max went into the club and had to pretend to be Vincent, he was the guy he was talking to. Oh my god, I'm literally useless. I'm like honestly was, so was useless. It's funny because with Ruffalo, I didn't recognise him at first because he looks so different. He's got the facial hair and I think mm. shaved head or very short hair. It's all slicked back, isn't it? His hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very greasy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really liked Ruffalo's character and that scene where he gets him and he mm. believes him. I was like, oh. This is where things are going to go. But it is also tropey, as yeah. Jack said, because it's like, oh, the guy that understands, the guy that has like an inkling that something else is going on, he's on the trail, he's got it. Obviously, he's going to get shot and he's going to die because he's the only one that understands the situation, actually. And I, I think that with, with this... his colleague just went home, didn't he? He's mm. like, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. Because <laughs> the FBI started taking over and he's just like a, you know, the LA detective who his job is his life and he can't let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I felt... When he died, I was like, oh, that sucks. But this is where the film is really going to ramp up. This is where the film's... But for me, it did the opposite. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is where everything's going to come together. And it's gonna... And it was just like the FBI stuff just kind of slowly disappeared into the distance. And especially, if, I know we'll get onto the ending, but it was just a bit like, mm. there's no... I, I thought the whole thing of this film was Max was terrified of the FBI getting him and you know blaming him for all this. And then it just... Either I missed something or... But it was like Fanning with his glimmering hope and then Fanning died. And oh no, Max is going to get caught up in this and he's going to try and convince the FBI and there's going to be... But then it just kind of went, um, the FBI aren't really in it anymore. Mm. And it was like, there's a car crash and there's a police officer there, which I liked the police officer interaction with Max. And then... Yeah, that was that was interesting. I liked that bit. Yeah, and when, he's, when the building scene, the start of it was really good. But then once again, it just kind of went on for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then the ending happens and then you're just like, so did, did the FBI... did they find his body on a train and then just leave it because if i was max in all honesty 
I'd be like, well, they already got my face. They've already got everything about me. I would be hobbling Tom Cruise's body or Vincent's body. Well, what happened at the end? Well, they shot. They, they both shot each other at the same time, and Max was completely unscathed, and Vincent was got shot in like the stomach, and then he yeah, sat on the yeah, chair. Yeah. And then and it, it literally just abruptly ends, doesn't it? Well, they it just leave him on the train. Ends, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they leave him on the train, and he walks off with uh, Jada Pickett Smith's character, um, Annie, and then the train goes off and it ends, and I'm like. Why would, I don't remember why would you leave his train. body there? If I was Max and I was trying to prove the fact I'm not an armed killer, although he did just kill him, I would be like basically pulling Tom Cruise's body off the train and I'd be trying to call police being like, yeah. this is the guy who's been killing everyone. If With his body going off on the train disappearing, surely 10 minutes after this film ended, he's just going to be found. Well, but I mean, the person that he's helped out is a defense attorney, isn't she? So. Mm. He, he has point. her on her side. Very good point. He, he can just be like, well, I've got one of the best defense attorneys in LA here. <laughs> He's going to back me up that this guy tried to kill us. Mm. So Yeah, well, I suppose also that I imagine the shootout scene, maybe, I feel like this, this is why I say that maybe the detail-oriented stuff, I don't, I'm not sure if I've seen many other Michael Mann films. I haven't seen Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was one of those weird things where there's a lot of parts of this that the details line up and it wraps up in a clever way. And when it turned out that Annie uh, was... His, the his final. last target. Mm. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's clever. That's good. That's mm. the part I was like, oh, this is where the film's going to really... But it, there's just little things where I just feel like, oh, if there was one minute-long scene, 30 mm-hmm. seconds, of an FBI agent going, those two people who just went in the club and came out, and that guy, maybe just a bit of CCTV from across the road, saw him kill Fanning, and then go, oh, we've got the wrong guy. Mm. He was telling the truth, or Fanning was right. Just, even just a line of dialogue, you know, Fanning was right. And then you'd go, okay, the FBI washes away, but it just kind of didn't. And then they just left the body on a train, which I thought was mm. really bizarre. Well, there's, lo- well, there's loads to unpack here. You guys have given me so much information to deal with. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I really like what you're saying, because I think, I think the fanning death is that almost the like end of the cliche, isn't it? I think that's where like you're not going to get the dogged cop and the the hitman assassin shootout at the end. You're not going to get him tracking him down and believing in Max. And they kill him off really quick. I'm going to be really careful what I say here. Have you seen No Country for Old Men? I have, and I love it. No, I um, It's on our scratch-off film list. Um, and I won't say much more than that it, it has echoed. Those two films echo in this way for me, where you think you're going to get something and you don't. And that can be really frustrating, I think, as a viewer, when you think you're going to get this epic face-off of the film is building to something and then it doesn't, it doesn't happen because of almost something that happens off screen like fanning is just as you said it's like a couple of seconds bang 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 and he's done and he's down and they're quite grim in the way i think they show him like twitching and dying don't they i agree with you mike in terms of like the building i love the shot of max like on the top of the parking lot looking up into the windows Mm. and you see annie on the floor above vincent because he's gone to her office but actually she's in the library and you get getting the almost like horror movie vibe it's like a stalker movie and you're seeing him through the you're seeing him silhouetted through the the glass panels, aren't you, in that scene? But I can kind of see what you mean, how it might go on a bit long. They could have sped that up a little bit because you know we're getting to that final scene where Max has to step up and be the every man that, that, that can do something to save the day. Go on. I think I think that bit specifically I really liked. I thought that was mm-hmm. done expertly. I just think once Tom Cru- once Vincent was in the same room, mm-hmm. she was crawling on the floor in the dark for ages. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit like, we don't we don't even really need to see how crawling in the floor for more than one second. You just mm-hmm. get the gist of, he turned the lights off, which was a genius idea. And I was like, that's a very, that reinforces him being a great hitman. I was like, good shout. That makes sense. And he didn't just go in and flip a switch. He had to use a proper 
you know, axe to hit the padlock off several times. Like those details line up. That makes sense. But then it was like, oh, and now he's just in the room with her and he's kind of, it, it just felt a bit messy-ish. Because mm. you're just like, well, so he he just wants to try and kill her in the dark, but he has no special skills. He doesn't have night vision goggles. He doesn't have a torch. He just turned the lights off to stop her calling. Fair enough. And then he just kind of vaguely wanders around in the room. And he's one of the, he's meant to be, claims to be one of the best hitmen ever. And he's just kind of stumbling in the darkness with her and you're a bit that was a bit i was like oh okay and then it just went on for a while that, that's, that's why i, I think he's becoming a bit unhinged by this point in the movie mm. because you look at him at the start when he kills the first guy and he falls out the window and hits a taxi it's all clinical and he doesn't you know it's all really quick and over and done with but by here he's kind of having fun i think because mm. you have the you have the first scene in the mexican club don't you when max goes in and meets the javier bardem character and they have a, a brief conversation and vincent's just sat in the cab isn't he but it's the second scene as we've spoken about before in Club Fever, where it's the big shootout. And that's when he takes out loads of the FBI guys. So I think they're probably busy dealing with all their wounded and dead. And mm. the main FBI guy gets shot in the leg. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, the old dude, wasn't it? Yeah, he's like a Michael Mann regular in, in some of the other movies. So I think probably they're distracted by the shootout and all of that, which is why they kind of disappear from the movie to play devil's advocate again a little bit. But I think he's becoming unhinged by this point. He's like kind of reveling in what he's doing which is why i'm not saying that that excuses it dragging out i think if it drags out for you it drags out and that, that's a that's a criticism that, that needs to be leveled at the movie but i think in terms of what vincent as a character is doing that's why he's not being quite as professional at this point and i love the scene when he smashes the window with the chair to chase after her mm-hmm. and then he trips over the chair oh, and if you trip yeah, he like smashes the window, he throws it, doesn't he? then he trips over and stumbles and yeah. goes after her, oh, right. which is one of those famous like behind the scene things, a bit like Raiders again, uh, to to talk about that, where like that wasn't meant to happen. It was meant to be a smash and a, he's meant to chase after her really quickly. They liked the shot so much because it showed this kind of different sense to him of him not quite being in control that they decided to use that shot in the movie. Hmm. Hmm. That's, That's a fair. Cool. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I feel like maybe... For me, I didn't actually get the vibe he was becoming that unhinged. No, so I feel like personally, if they had leaned into that more, because I, I love characters becoming unhinged. It's one of my, you know, it's probably why I like episode three of Star Wars so much, which is like unhinged to the 10th degree. Mm. God, always um, talk about bloody Star Wars. Power roll. I've got it on my skin. <laughs> I literally can't look anywhere in life without seeing it in some uh, capacity. But it, it's one of those things where I, I love seeing a character become unhinged. Obviously, Breaking Bad mm. is probably the poster child for that sort mm. of thing. So I, I didn't personally get that. I just got it. I was like, he was an amazing hitman and he was just kind of getting worse. <laughs> Do you know one bit that I really liked, but at the same time really didn't, was when Max is breaking into, it's, it's a law building, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Um, where he like throws the bin mm. at the at the thing and it doesn't break, which made me laugh. But then what annoyed me is that he used two bullets to break the glass to get into the building. I was like, why would you waste a bullet? Mm. You're literally getting, like, going in to save this woman that you've spoken to and, like, kind of want to go on a date with from this guy that you know is, like, essentially, well, he's a hitman, but, like, he's a murderer. Why would you waste a bullet? Why Mm. would you waste that second bullet? Well, I have a defense for that. And my thoughts was he's so inexperienced with firearms. Mm. When you shoot a gun, you get kicked back. So I, I kind of viewed it. Now... I don't know why, how I, when watching it, I thought that. And that's such a almost uh, 
offhand thing, yet with the Tom Cruise tripping and lots of these other semi-intentional details. I've, I've ignored all these other ones and picked up this one thing of just being like, yeah, maybe he just it's probably he I... shot once and it was kind of like a, ooh, do-do sort well, of thing. Well, I pointed it out, didn't I? It mm. was the first thing that I said after it happened. I was like, why would he, why would he do the second bullet? Why would yeah. he waste it? And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> kick back maybe or just to show he's so inexperienced with firearms. But I liked his character. And again, with the detail thing, I liked how he said at the start, I'm going to be, you know, it's just temporary, that sort of thing. And one of, some of my favourite parts is, I think the dialogue is some of my favourite parts of this, which might be why the ending was a bit weaker for me, because I just found when, uh, I mean, Jamie Foxx is phenomenal. I don't think mm. I've seen Jamie Foxx, probably, I don't think I've seen him do a properly bad role. I think his weakest role is probably Spider-Man, but I, I like Amazing Spider-Man too, so. Um, but, oh yeah, he's like the electric guy, isn't he? Electro, yeah. Um, but I don't blame him for the issues with that film, but I still enjoy it. Um, but I think him, the way he plays his character is so so good mm-hmm. like jamie fox like everything i see him is amazing but i i really like their conversations and there's the bit um when uh he uh, when max jamie fox puts his foot down and you know does the crash that before that is such brilliant dialogue and i love that they're kind of they're trying to somewhat figure each other out in, in a mm-hmm. way and i love that where with max is kind of this film is almost like his I've got I've got a theory of what this film is kind of trying to show, but it's almost like he's it's like a midlife crisis. It's like a epiphany. It's this thing where my comparison I made a note of it is almost like I feel like this film is a metaphor for someone who's an introvert getting an extroverted friend. Mm-hmm. Where you you are, when you're an introvert, and obviously I'm an extrovert, so I do this to a lot of my friends um, and to Megan to some degree. Uh, is you know the extrovert wants to be out and doing things, action, da da da, you know, high intensity things, some to a degree in social situations whereas the introvert wants more control wants to not necessarily be thrown into a very intense social situation immediately but if you have two people one who's an introvert one who's an extrovert the introvert usually brings the extrovert down a bit and the introvert pushes um they kind of balance each other out to a mm-hmm. degree mm-hmm. i know i'm the, the terms of introvert and extrovert i'm kind of stretching quite a lot but that general idea of what people are like and well, i kind of felt it with those well, you're kind of seeing like a positive and a negative correlation with the character arcs aren't you like mm. as the film goes on vincent becomes like well as jack said like less hinged mm-hmm. so more unhinged whereas max is becoming more like confident isn't he he's becoming mm. he, he's he's standing up for himself like so they're like kind of like I know people who are listening to this can't see what I'm doing with my hands. <laughs> if you've got like a graph, you would have like Vincent's going on to a negative correlation, whereas like Max's would be going to a positive. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they kind of would like meet in the middle and then pass each other. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the things that I got the introvert extrovert thing. I was kind of like, for me, that's how it felt. It was they bring each other out mm. of their kind of own extremes in a certain way. But then when they kind of meet in the middle, they realize almost they're not compatible obviously, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways and you know obviously tom cruise is a sociopath or psychopath well i think probably sociopath but i'm always a bit hazy on the, the differences um but that, that's kind of how i interpreted their relationship i like that the two different sides of the coin and kind of mm. learning from each other even if they didn't want to and being put in situations they didn't want to be in in a way i think that also excuses i completely agree i think that also excuses part of the reason why vincent doesn't ditch max he really likes him and he yeah. actually he feels like he's a good influence on him. He likes being around him. And they've had that interaction with um, Max's boss over the, the radio, haven't they? Where he was getting, where he was like bullying Max and he he helped Max stand up for himself. And so, I yeah, I think, I mean, the, the actors have got great chemistry as well. So it sells all of this, where again, this is probably part of that stuff you're talking about, Megan, where like 
it doesn't really line up with what would happen in reality. Vincent would have left long ago, just shot Max in the head and walked off. Yeah. But in the terms of this movie, and because we want to see these characters stay together, and there is some character progression for both of them due to their their burgeoning relationship, you could almost imagine a, a sequel, a buddy comedy where like, Vincent's going to go off and do a job and Max is like, no, nah, come on, Vincent, we're past all that now. And he could like, <laughs> And he's like trying to get to stay home and, and and use his skills somewhere new. I think certainly by the end, despite the horrendous experience he's been through, Max is a changed man for the better because mm. of this time he spent with Vincent, definitely. And um, once again, uh, kudos to Jamie Foxx, because uh, I know he listens to this podcast. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his, um, his range as an actor you see it in the moment and it's one of my favorite scenes uh, is when he's speaking to Javier, um, Javier Bardem and he's be, he's apologizing. He's saying sorry. And he's very like himself. And he has that moment and he's like, I'm meant to be pretending to be this guy mm-hmm. who just told me to tell my boss to basically. Well, he you know, told him to fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was like one of those things where it's like he, you kind of see it in Jamie Foxx's face realized. And he's like, actually, if that guy get, keeps you, he notices the gun thing. And he's like, if that mm. guy keeps pointing my gun at me. And when that happens, you can see Javier Badem kind of being like, oh, okay, this almost, he does mention at the end, he does say, you know, keep an eye on him and stuff, which obviously seemingly amounts to nothing unless I miss something. Did... No, they follow them to the club. Oh, that, oh that's, that's the how the big shit out happens. Yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. Because the three factions almost. Yeah. Right, uh, that is correct. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but with that moment, it's just like, I, I really liked that seeing Jamie Foxx just kind of come out of his show. And that that's the moment where he kind of pushes over his own boundaries and where he starts fighting back both against Vincent, who's kind of turned him into this, and he's taking control of his own life. Mm. And I really like that moment of almost his own clarity and his own confidence coming back. Once again, dialogue, I think, is brilliant in this film and the characters themselves work really well. It's just little things kind of let it down from mm. being a top tier. I mean, Fox was Oscar nominated for this, and I think rightly mm-hmm. so. I think Cruz himself, this is one of his best performances, I would say, and he is often somebody who's overlooked because of his star power and his million-dollar smile, and I think sometimes people miss what he's doing underneath all of that. I think that, that is a definite shame. I think he probably could have been Oscar nominated himself. For his, I, don't, I don't really hold much weight in awards anyway, but I think no, I. if it's something which gives you some kudos for the job you've done, and this is early on in Fox's career as well. So I think it was a real proving point for him because he then went on to do, obviously, bigger, not necessarily better, but bigger and more successful things, getting roles like Ray. I think that's what he won his actual Oscar for, didn't he, playing Ray Charles? Uh, I've not seen that movie. The biopic of that. So th- this was this was the, the point where you could see he was going to go on and be a very successful actor in his own right. I think my film for Jamie Foxx was Law Abiding Citizen, which is also the film that I started liking uh, Gerard Butler in, but I don't think I've seen many films with him uh, in Oh, I've seen that, I think. That's the one where Gerard Butler's in prison and he tries to break out. Kind of, that's a part of it. But yeah, it's all about yeah, him bending the law. Film. And it's one of my favourite films ever, and I always forget about it, of how clever it is. I love a clever movie. So, and, and when I saw Jamie Foxx in that, you know, before I see actors in certain things, when I used to, I used to have a... Like a, like a I used to always judge them beforehand. You'd see them be in a couple of big films. I used to do with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and things. And I'd be like, oh, they're just really good looking guys. Or they've just been in these films, these kinds of films. And then you watch a film where they really get to shine. 
and I think for Brad Pitt for me it was probably Fight Club I think um, but I saw him in a couple of things and I was like oh this guy and Snatch as well and I was like this guy can really act yeah he's stunningly attractive but he can really act whereas Jamie Foxx he's a very good looking chap but I think I, I when I saw him in uh, Law Abiding I was like oh he's he's really good I'm really intrigued and then everything I've seen him in since has been like that but yeah I don't talk about Law Abiding Citizen enough or ever no. really so I think it's a banging movie but <laughs> not relevant at all well, of course it's relevant it's jamie fox is in it <laughs> so you mentioned the dialogue and this definitely has like a philosophical bent doesn't it this movie you get a lot of crews talking about i ching and all these other things that he's clearly absorbed in his time what did you think of those those moments between him and fox do you want me to go first maybe yeah. <laughs> what what moments um, oh <laughs> it was all right um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I loved it. I mean, I, I love any people talking about philosoph- philosophy or even their own interpretations of certain mm. things. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things about myself I've self-described is I have an approximate knowledge of most things, which is I'm not really an expert in anything apart from maybe Star Wars. But aside from that, I've just got one of my things that I like to think makes me a, a set fairly strong podcast host is because I know enough about almost anything to be able to have a conversation and I felt like with Cruz, I kind of got that vibe. I was mm-hmm. like, he's someone who's he's switched on. He's paying attention. He's paying attention to his surroundings. He's not just going off killing people. He he wants people to think that about him. He wants people to think he just goes in, kill, done, gone. Mm. But he really does absorb a lot of what's going on. And that's you would kind of have to do that to be such an aware and uh, successful and efficient hitman. So I really liked seeing that element of it. Um, I wouldn't actually mind... I don't know if I'd see it in the cinema or if it would just go on my infinite list and I'd watch it in 20 years, but almost like a, a spin-off just about Cruz being uh-huh. a hitman. I mean, I imagine Cruz has done 10 other films where he plays a very similar role <laughs> of a hitman or something similar, but I would actually quite like to see that, him kind of learning and picking up those things. Becoming thought, Vincent. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm. Any thoughts? Have I stolen all the, the well, ideas? thoughts about their conversations or the philosophy? I don't really remember him speaking about his philosophical views. It's kind of when they're talking about, when they're kind of trying to figure each other out, I think is what the... It just has a really interesting outlook on life. And I think at times I get a little bit scared about what characters I identify with. Because when he's talking about... Um, it's after the first killing and the guy's dead and Max is like, oh my God, this is awful. And he's like, well, have you heard of Rwanda and all these people that died here? Oh, Max yeah, is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course I've heard of Rwanda. And he's like, well, what did you do to help those people? Oh, nothing. So this one fat guy I've just killed, just because you saw it, suddenly you care. And I just, sometimes people say these things within movies or books and I just think, shit, absolutely, that is totally correct. It's because it's yeah. only affecting you in your immediate life that you care about it. He just has this kind of, nihilistic cynical worldview that i think feels pretty accurate to um a lot of the world unfortunately makes me think of um joker in uh, the dark knight mm-hmm. one of the reasons i obviously that film very is very rare to come across someone who doesn't think that film's amazing and if there is anyone who thinks it's not well you're wrong um because one of the greatest films ever made and i'll die on that hill um but heath ledger obviously his performance is held in very high regard as it should be um, and there's that moment, which is one of my favourite f- moments in film history, in any films I've seen, is when he has the two people on the boat. He's got the prison, um, the prisoners and the civilians, the good people in air quotes. And he's like, they're gonna, mm-hmm. these people are perceived as good and bad, but they're not. And the, his whole thinking behind it, I thought, you know, kudos to Chris Nolan and then everyone else involved in the writing of that. Um, but of just, 
it's such a clever idea and the way the Joker comes about that. And obviously Joker's interpreted in very various different ways across film and uh, comics and stuff. But in that moment, that, as you say, the kind of the nihilistic view on things where it's just like people don't matter in a way mm. and you can manipulate them because they think that they're good when they're not and all these little elements, it links into that. And it's, I think they can be right. And I think that Tom Cruise's point is right. And it's that idea where it's like, you know, how can you think your life means anything if you're one of 8 billion people on a, a hunk of rock spinning through, you know, God knows how many trillions of galaxies next to I said, mm. you know, scaling up and things. Do you care about ants dying where you're just an ant, but you zoom out a bit more? I think those things are just, and I agree with a lot of them, but I think that it's quite easy to agree with many philosophical things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's where I come from. What about you with... I know you're not as into <laughs> nihilism and thinking about. <laughs> I think Megan went yeah. somewhere else just then. I did. She <laughs> did. Yeah, I forgot. I completely forgot about the whole conversation. But um, yeah, no, I think that's an interesting concept because why does it's like the whole philosophy with if you're on a train track and you're going in one direction and there's like four people on the train track, would you change the direction to only kill one person, or would you could just continue on the path that is the path that it's heading towards like mm. why does one life like do you know like that kind of thing isn't it yeah mm. yeah i mean me and the guys i've used to ask they used to get sick of me asking this on a friday it's probably part of the reason i started the podcast actually was because people on friday nights i'd hang out with my mates we play board games have a few drinks and stuff and occasionally myself and my friend reese has you know been on the show a few times on the first and 100th episode we like talking about these conceptual questions of things like i like um you know would you one is like, would you kill every dog on earth? Would every dog on earth has to die, but or all your family and friends die? Mm. It's a weird, and it's one of those weird things. And you can kind of, I, I have, I've not done the podcast because I think some of the questions can be considered insensitive or upsetting, or whatever. But there's, you kind of scale it up. It's like, okay, would you kill your partner to save the whole country of Britain and to save everyone in Britain? And people would be like, the whole country of Britain. Well, the whole country of Britain, yeah, that's terrible. The whole country of England, <laughs> everyone has, in England. That classic country, Britain. Would you do that? And the answer, you know, people sometimes oh, some say, no, I wouldn't save the human race because humans suck. And I go, what if it was puppies? And they go, oh, I'd probably do this. And it's like, okay, you have to kill one puppy with your bare hands or you have to, or a thousand puppies die. And it's things like that, which is just like weird philosophical questions. You can go down endless rabbit holes of thinking of that sort of stuff. And I think a lot of it is, to what Tom Cruise, Vincent was saying, is like, it's just kind of in what's your immediate closeness. You know what I mean? You know, I, I wouldn't want to kill anyone. But if I kill, if it's been killing Megan or killing five strangers, I, w- I would kill the strangers, even though mm. in a utilitarian view, that's morally incorrect. So I think it's it's fair, though, to have a bit of perspective on knowing, you know, people can have these thoughts and you can think about nihilism and all this sort of stuff, but it mm. doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, Megan. <laughs> good to know that he'd go for the five though that's nice to know yeah, yeah. but it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned the joker and we've mentioned fight club because obviously tyler durden as well fits into this pattern of these kind of characters i think who have a worldview which sometimes you can agree with but not with the means and the ways that they get there sometimes agreed yeah completely i put those in the line and actually that scene you were talking about earlier with um max jamie fox running down the road through the business district that really reminds me of ed norton's narrator when he's running down the, the streets towards the end of the movie trying to stop the Tyler Durden plan, I get real good big vibes of that. And he does a funny scene, doesn't he, trying to break into the building, actually, as well. Very similar to Mac when he's oh, yeah. in the bin. I think he does almost exactly the same thing. 
hits you in yeah. the bin and then shoots it with a gun. And I will say, Tom Cruise running. I said to Megan, mm. I was like, as soon as he started so running, fast. he is ridiculous. He's, he's like, so fast. He's like, he's like a bullet train. <laughs> he's like, Megan hasn't seen this film because I'm a failure, but um, Terminator 2, Robert Kirkman, mm-hmm. when he's running down uh, Robert the street. Patrick, yeah. Patrick, sorry, yeah. Uh, Robert Kirkman is, I think, the guy who writes Walking Dead. He is, yeah. <laughs> and I Marvel's think he obvious. runs a lot slower, if I'm honest. Not, Probably. Not, not I, to I, be rude, but you know. Yeah, I went to a, I went to a convention and he was talking there and I was like, he doesn't look like he could outrun Tom Cruise, let's be honest. So, or, or Robert Patrick. Uh, but it, when I saw Tom Cruise running, I was like, that is terrifying. Like, he's so, so, so speedy. quick. I was watching it and I was like, because I, I was Can you imagine him. if he was in the Halloween movies? Everyone would be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be over a lot quicker, wouldn't they? <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Tom. I think it's enormous in Tom Cruise's contract. He just has to run in a film. But I, the, how fast he was running, and I think the kind of shoes he was wearing. I was like, I, I and the floor because it was quite is that tile flooring of a of a subway. I was like, I'm surprised. I would be scared of falling over. Mm. I was watching it. I was like, I, I was almost thinking if I could see it was bloopers. I was like, what if he fell? I just remembered the train scene. Oh, at the end of this film. Yeah, I just remembered it because you said the subway. I remember that mm. now. I really liked that scene. That was Let's good. talk about it. Go on, lead us, lead us in, Megan. I liked that. I thought I thought it was interesting because obviously they got onto the train. He managed to figure out exactly what train they were on, and then it was like the whole thing where they were trying to get off, and then it was like them like peering out. They knew that if they went out, he was going to shoot them. Um, yeah, I thought that was really smart. But how did he know what train they were on? Mm. There were two. Well, there were two trains, weren't there? Or was yeah, there... one at the top, one at the bottom, and they were yeah, in different but directions. But he just somehow managed I think to he know. Guessed. I think that, he... that was the train. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a guess. Um... That's what I, and also I the fact it. that they didn't go to the street because <laughs> they had yeah. two options, didn't they? He was like, no, she was like, this one goes to the street. He was like, no, let's go to the subway. And then somehow Vincent knew that he would go to the subway. Yeah, I, I imagine I interpreted that as he's he, obviously the, the bottom of that building is all glass. And I think he in theory, because the, the foyer was quite large. I interpreted that because I thought that a little bit, but I was like, maybe it's just that the door would have probably closed and he'd have, he looked and saw none of the doors had moved. He could see because it was all glass. There was no, it didn't look like there was anyone, but it is, he did have those two moments where it was almost like a coin toss and he was right both times. It's Mm. difficult with things like that though, because these are some of the things, it's like when you watch a horror movie and they start running upstairs and you're like, why, why are you going upstairs? You've literally just blocked yourself in. Like, that building is huge. Mm. Like they could have just hidden in a random room. All the lights are off as well. All of the lights, the power had been turned off. They could have literally just hidden. It would have taken Vincent hours mm. to even try and find them. And it's just, it, it's little things like this that I'm. It's just the unrealistic chances <laughs> of him going to the exact place that they chose to go to to go to on the the exact train that they went mm. on. When there are probably hundreds of rooms within this building, I think I think Megan is on everyone's zombie survival team. By the way, with the things <laughs> that come out of tonight, I think everyone needs to snap you up. Everyone's get, getting quick if you want her on your team, because I think you clearly have a very like your processing of what you've been doing in these moments is very clear. I think for them, it's they're panicking, right? And I think Vincent oh, yeah. is dealing with people that are panicking. So I think that I think that excuses the first one like the fact they're leaving the building and he knows they'd leave the building. And I think almost I can excuse the doors because he, he, it's the only place he visits earlier in the movie but before the killing, isn't it? Because he gets the key card. So he can mm-hmm. then come in and out of the building at that point, at any point in the day, at the night when he wants to. So I guess he would have known they would have had to smash their way out or the train though, that is the harder one to buy. 
that how did he know i guess we can read into it that he's so in sync with max now or he's so good at his job or it, it almost like we need to talk about the coyote at some point like he's almost like the coyote that we see crossing the road earlier in the movie that he's almost following the scent but i agree that that one's a little bit tough to stomach that he just happened to get on the right the right train it seems odd that they had the moment where he was choosing too and i thought the film was almost going to end because Oh, yeah, because he didn't even get on the train, did he? He climbed onto the back of it mm, and climbed yeah. through the like, exit. Because he stood there looking for ages. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen the way this film is going to end? Because I try not to look at film. I look at the runtime before watching it. But then when we start the film, I try my very best to not stop it and see how far we're through. Because obviously, if you're halfway through the film and the protagonist is in a really dire situation, unless a film takes a huge left turn, which is quite rare, they're going to get out of it. And for me personally, that somewhat spoils pacing, and mm-hmm, etc. But with this film, with the the pub and things like that, we watched it in two parts. So when we st- we started at a halfway point, sort of, um, I think it's around. It was I was in the Javier Bardem, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, scene. it was when he was about to go and speak to him in that club. Yeah, so which was quite a nice place to <clears> stop, actually. Um, so it worked quite well. But I remember when it got to that point, I was like, I feel like we're quite near the end of the film. So I was like, oh, maybe he. This is going to be his his one error, kind of the one big error. He has two choices, fifty fifty. He makes the wrong one and then maybe the two trains go in opposite directions and he just at the mm. corner sees, you know, uh, Max and Annie nice going imagery. off. And yeah, and then it would have been maybe, then I would have, if I was making this film, fade out and then fade back in and then it's like a courtroom and it's Max, Annie and Tom Cruise's character, Vincent, in a courtroom or coming out of a court or something along the lines of basically being like, she's the one who put him away at the end and mm-hmm. his own doing this job is the thing that actually got him in the end, which I know is technically what happened but it was the shooting bit i think is what kind of the the ending where they both shoot each other when i saw that i i think we both had the same kind of thought because we could both kind of went what just happened because mm. you he had each person shooting at each other i think i asked you yeah, i you think did. i said what what just happened and mike was like well they just shot at each other max is fine but vincent's been shot and i was like oh all right then. <laughs> you know, Vincent's like being shown as being such a like the way they kind of located him being a hitman and a professional is because it's two in the chest, one in the head, which is mm. also the John Wick special. Obviously, John Wick came off out of this, but the chest head, uh, and uh, it's like that's so. It's just a bit odd, and I, I wonder if one of the interpretations I'm sure you'll take us through it, Jack, is going to be: is it divine intervention? Is it one of those things? Well, I said right this up. This is the bit that always used to bother me about the film. I used to really like love it from from the first time i saw it except for i just think it's such a cop-out ending like of course the good guy has to get the bad guy and i never liked it and i think now, now i know why it happens it makes total sense and it has totally changed my understanding of the ending and you just said it yourself mike he is clinical he is professional he is always two in the chest and one in the head right so there's two things that happen in this movie we get told that very very deliberately almost like chekhov's shooting pattern and if Megan, if you know the Chekhov's gun joke, the, the idea of whenever you see something that's out of place in a film that they is specific, at, normally at the start it always comes back to something. You know, it's like oh well, yeah, because it was mentioned in the in the when they were looking at the dead bodies, wasn't it? Yeah, but right. the film yeah. term is Chekhov's razor. It's basically if something shows up in a film, it's probably significant. It's that idea of whenever there's a, a big plot twist or anything like oh, that. Oh well, yeah, well, it's it's like right at the beginning when he gives the postcard to. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. another, like, yeah, like, Chekhov's postcard, absolutely, yeah, so, yeah, Chekhov's <laughs> gun is where it started, because it was, like, a gun, 
that was shown in close up, and then that gun was used for the murder later on. But it's right. become that term where you know, like when you're fridging a woman came from the comic books, and so we get the Chekhov's gunshot, right? So we get told very specifically that he does this pattern every time, he kills everybody every time. We also get throughout the film this mention of Jamie Foxx's character, Max, getting lucky with the lights. Mm. And if you notice that, whenever he drives somewhere, it's with Annie and it's with Vincent the first time he drives. He says, I can get you there in this amount of time. And both times he gets there, he says, I got lucky with the lights. Right? So what happens at the end of the movie in the train? The lights will go out and they have the shooting between each other. And as I said, it always pissed me off. I never got it until I read about it this time. And the reason Vincent misses Max and Max hits Vincent is because the lights are out. So it's chance now anyway, because Max gets lucky with the lights. But also Max shoots randomly. So again, people can't see what I'm doing, but I'm but pew, 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 pew. I'm shooting randomly across my screen. Whereas Vincent shoots two in the chest, one in the head, which all hit the middle bit of the door, the metal frame of the door. Whereas Max's go through the window. Oh, right. So when the, obviously when the subway door is closed, mm-hmm. you've got the metal and there's the two view hole parts. Mm. Yeah. So because Vincent mm. follows his professional, he hits the, the door part, the metal part, whereas Max hits through the windows and shatters them and hits Vincent. Mm. Mm, that makes sense but i feel like what they they should have made a a slightly more a bit more of an obvious thing of that i just feel like sometimes like that's smart but sometimes i feel like people make it too smart yeah and that's where it that's where i hadn't got it you guys hadn't got it so how many other people that are watching this movie just never got that and i've only got it from reading about afterwards exactly yeah yeah and you've you've said you've rewatched this film as well Mm. um which obviously i I assume at least twice because of doing it now and you'd seen it prior. Yeah. But you've, it's a pretty good film. So I could, just, I could see rewatching it being enjoyable, but yeah, that, that hmm. was a bit off, but that makes actually a lot of sense. I kind of wish they'd have made a bit more of a thing of that. Cause I think my coming out of the movie would have been something mm. better. Yeah. But then at the same time, people would then complain that they've made it too explicit. I just, I remember it just being a flashy mess mm-hmm. and then Jamie Foxx being fine. Yeah. I don't even remember seeing bullet holes on the door. I feel no, like they are I'm... there if you go back and look closely. They are That's definitely what I mean. there. I feel like if you had a just a a second or two mm-hmm. of just they're both standing there and the the windows are smashed and you see like the two and the one mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. like fully in there and you see that just on screen just for a second and then the doors maybe open mm. and then you see you know uh, Tom Cruise collapse or you know stumble or whatever. Maybe, but it's very easy in hindsight. Me being someone who's never made a film in a feature film in my life, going, hmm, you know what, Michael Mann, you know, you should do, <laughs> you should do this prolific heat director. You should do this one small thing, and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's also important for the symmetry of the movie, isn't it? It's gone full cycle. Because um, at the start, Cruise talks about there's a famous story about the guy that was that died on a subway in L.A. and he travelled around for six hours and nobody noticed, and mm. now he is that guy at the end of the movie. So I think. I know what you said, Mike, about why didn't they drag the body off? Well, for for the story reasons, they can't because we need him to fulfil the role that he had explained was going to happen at the start mm. of the movie. Mm. Yeah, fair play. All right. Before we get towards the end, because I think I can feel I feel we're getting there. We've hit the end of the movie anyway. Um, there's the coyote earlier on in the movie, and we get that beautiful audio slave needle drop where um, Chris Cornell comes in and starts singing. What do you think of that moment? Because it really, that's a bit that was always jotted me out. And again, I had to read about it. So maybe you shouldn't have to read about it. But it's really fascinating when you look into the symbolism of why they put that bit in the movie. 
I was actually thinking that was arguably my least favorite. I did find scene. it confusing. Mm. I understood it to a degree. I think. Well, I think I did. I, I viewed it. Uh, obviously, he's a coyote, but I kind of viewed it as him being a lone wolf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like, him. He's wearing grey. He kills all that sort of stuff. I know that obviously wolves in packs and stuff. But I kind of viewed it as he's a lone wolf. And if you are a lone wolf, you're not very effective at hunting. Actually, at the end of the day, so it it, nev- it would lead to your downfall. And I, I much I enjoy Chris Cornell and Audio Slave and uh, Soundgarden's his mm-hmm. his other band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as much I enjoy his music and things, and I mean Coach Ice, brilliant song, Gasoline as well. I'm just going to list off loads of Chris Cornell songs. Why not? <laughs> just to prove I know what I'm talking about. Um, I like that, but I find it sometimes movies do this where. I love a good soundtrack, and I think this film I even wrote has a really good soundtrack. Mm. The classical music use in this is really good. I think yeah, jazz the, and... Yeah, I think well, the yeah. music in the shootout was a bit weak. I, that kind of didn't feel like it fitted quite uh, the, me. It's really, it's really... That's um, in Jason in the Bourne movies, isn't it, as well? That ready, steady, go, really upbeat, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, and it's kind of like... Yeah. It's kind of quiet, but it's not so quiet it's background noise, and it's not loud enough like it's something in the start of Blade or in like mm-hmm, John mm-hmm. Wick. It's this weird middle volume and it's not a very interesting track it just kind of sounds like a generic upbeat mm. track so apart from that bit i loved for the first hour of the film the classical music and all that stuff but i found that sometimes i get films where a director seems to really love a song mm. and they just want any excuse to put it in the film and sometimes it works you know 30 seconds of a song rarely hurts anyone and can really add to certain movies but it felt like i don't think they played the whole song but it felt like they played for quite a mm. while it was like two two to three minutes almost of just song and shots and i was like i don't really like it personally when films do that where i know art housey films do it quite a lot as well but for those genres it seems to work a bit or when you're mm. watching someone just you know make a sandwich and you're just <laughs> watching them do it in real time for ages you know i just felt in this film it kind of messed with the pacing a bit mm. it felt like things were starting to go and they was like okay here's a here's an interlude for an audio slave song and just a few shots. And I was like, is something meant to be happening? And I, I felt like they were trying to be like, this is a reflection on Vincent. But for me, I was like, this is just not really doing anything for me. I don't know if you felt the same, Megan. I just found it confusing. I just, I, like, the likelihood of a coyote walking around at that time. Like, I know that it's it's empty, but LA is pretty, pretty busy. They do, have, like, they do have a coyote problem, actually. I didn't say that they didn't. <laughs> oh, no, that's what you were making the point. Apologies. Um, I just, I just, it just took me out of it a little bit because it was just so, like, it felt random. Mm. And I think it, it is. I think it's a problem. I always thought it was a lone wolf thing. I agree. That's how I read it. And it, as much as I, I, I like the song as well, and I like Cornell's voice. I think is amazing. It, it does feel like a moment the man's forced in, and I think it is musically and symbolically. Because then when you read about it. And it's like harkening back. I'm just looking at my notes as I'm as I'm saying it. It's like a Native American Navajo omen, which is if a coyote crosses your path, it's going to lead to bad fortune. You're going to have an accident or or get killed. Or like, how many people watching this movie know that is 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 the question. And I think the thing we spoke about before that with the shooting, you can kind of excuse, and it's you've been smart enough to follow this, or unfortunately in our case, three people have not been smart enough to follow it. This one does feel like it's a moment that takes you out of the movie, doesn't it? But it would make sense if people in this film weren't Native American. But sure. No one is, so it kind of just feels out of place yeah, to have that kind of symbolism mm. without any other reference to that culture and that, like. Well, even if a coyote realm. was mentioned prior, 
if mm-hmm. you if maybe Tom Cruise uh, Vincent said something like if he was the coyote or or maybe if he said I'm a lone wolf and maybe uh, Jamie Foxx said I think you're more of a coyote mm-hmm. yeah but then that I feel like clever. that's too on the nose but that would have made sense though it it just felt like it was like here's a coyote and there's an omen from you know uh, Native Americans and you're like in what part of a hitman taxi LA movie has got anything to do with Native Americans no part there wasn't even to my knowledge there wasn't a at least a front and center even native american actor or character no so so what if he was a native american uh, actor mm-hmm. and then obviously in turn making the ethnicity of the character that i'd go yeah or if they'd like obviously when they were talking about the different philosophies and he was talking about like rwanda and what happened there if they had linked it to native american mm. culture at that point mm then there would have been a connection, but it just felt really yeah, random. Out of the field. Oh, there's a script doctoring. So now Megan is not only your zombie <laughs> survival team, she's your script doctor, because that is where it would have worked. You take out Rwanda and you put in the Native American genocide. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is that if I were in a zombie apocalypse, I'd probably be the first to die. You have a dodgy angle. I, w- I've got do- I would sacrifice myself for everybody else. Oh. I would give everyone I mean, my plan. and even then more reason to have you, myself. you know, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we've also got a pickaxe in our shed because we recently redid our gardens. We've got a we pickaxe, do. we've got weights, including like a barbell that you can take the weights off. It's quite, <laughs> I've often thought if a zombie apocalypse ever happened, and I'd be screwed. But I'd be like, I think I could use this as a weapon. I think that'd be quite cool. I yeah. mean, I have no chance. We'd just get absolutely decimated. Megan's got the dodgiest ankle in the world. So it's just like, <laughs> she fractured it like three times. And it seems like you get, whenever you're fine... You'll get a, a month period where you're fine, and, and then, then I'll just, injure it in a really stupid way. Like that multi, you stepped off a, a normal size. <laughs> that curve. was my other ankle. That wasn't well, the bad is, one. So it's the other, the non-bad ankle <laughs> that has then gone bad for a while. So Megan, Megan would not. She'd be the plan. You'd have to be the brain. I'd be the brains. You know, hmm. someone in a like a locked room where like uh, you're the, the oracle. Walls are really thick. Yeah, exactly. And I'd uh, basically be like, you see what they do in horror films? Do the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, don't have sex in the woods. Maybe even ever in nighttime. That happens a lot in the, the Scream, uh, not the Scream movies, but things like, I'm thinking of Evil Dead, but there's like a cabin in the woods. Mm. Like the film itself is brilliant, but I mean, like the, the trope of being teenagers having sex in horror movies, that happens all the time, and that's normally when one of them gets killed. Everybody, you need to stay celibate. Everyone, On you Halloween, need to wear... No sex. What's the little, like, oh, chastity belt? Chastity belt, oof. Yeah, I'm not an advocate for those. I mean, to be fair, Cabin in the Woods is like meta beyond belief. Mm. And that, mm. I think it's one of the best horror films ever. And Megan can't stand it because it gets too Aww. weird. I don't like it. It goes too weird. Yeah, I just I, I, just think, and this is me being kind of a dick, and I accept that. I just think anyone who doesn't like Cabin in the Woods, in my opinion, just doesn't watch enough horror films. Because <laughs> I think it's so clever and so genius. It's like Evil Dead 2 elevated. You know, it's everything kind of Sam Raimi's kind of style and humour elevated so for me cabin in the woods when i hear oh i don't like cabin in the woods i'm like you just don't get it which is a really dicky thing to think and even dickier yes, to say on a podcast very, about my girlfriend it's very very patronizing isn't it it is and so i i, for, I apologize i completely no, take don't. it you don't apologize I do. don't even pretend i apologize for me thinking that i don't apologize for being honest and saying it but i do apologize <laughs> that that's anyway, unfortunately how i am <laughs> anyway we've gone off on a tangent <laughs> sorry the, guys the tone does not tell anyone listening what the face is like on oh, Megan right now. For, for that <laughs> <coming up from> my... 
if people listen to some podcasts with us, some of them think may think that we don't like each other because certain podcasts we just rip on each other constantly. But if you listen to enough of us, yeah, I mean, if you if you were to see my face, it would tell you everything that I'm thinking because I am very much one of those people that I have to check my face a lot of the time because all of my emotions come out of my face. Terrible if there, poker. If there are people mm. saying something that I don't necessarily agree with, I really have to. Uh, watch what my face is doing <laughs> so family gatherings mm. it has to be very careful when someone when there's a certain family member who starts spouting off a bit of nonsense megan has to kind of look away yes it's, it's true <laughs> well it is the joy of your patreon you know let's get that little plug in there now you know you get all of this you get all of that joy you get the bickering you get the you get the fun you do you get to hear a lot of the laughter on patreon mm. you, you get a lot of me saying stupid things and megan pulling me up on it and me openly accepting it, and, and a laugh. lot of me yawning and Let singing. <laughs> you do. You have been singing a lot recently. I do Lara. sing a lot on We're the. We're not Patreons. even at the end. We still got Stafe to talk about. We can t- plug our Patreon then. Megan, you're singing when mm. we watch Jersey Boys. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, the Jersey Boys. <laughs> Name is around. Whenever we watch musicals, Megan's like, "It's a musical episode of Patreon, so it's an excuse for oh, me I to love sing." It. <laughs> the Jersey Boys one in particular, I do go very, very high pitch. She tries to do Frankie Valley. I try to do it a little bit, and I'm Megan's a pretty good singer. I am not, so you get to hear my terrible singing. In but that, the but. exciting thing about that, and this is a complete tangent, and I do apologise, everyone. But the great thing about that one is that I'd sang. What was the song called? Big girls don't. Is it big girls don't cry? Is that what yeah. the song's called? But it's that song. And then afterwards, I was like, I'm pretty sure I got that in the right key. I was like, Mike, you have to get it up on Spotify. And then he got it up on Spotify. And I was like, I got it in the right fucking key. I was like, yes. Yeah. I was like, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, it was quite Spotify because you can't listen to Patreon stuff on Spotify. But yes, it was. Uh... No, we listened to the Frankie Valley song oh, on Spotify. I see. So I remember. So that I could hear whether it was in the right key. That's right. Because we listened because you got me to get the recording yes. we'd just done on my phone and play <laughs> the Frankie Valley <laughs> at the same song. time. And then hers just to compare to be short. Yes, I did. I did get that. note. Whereas me, I can't. <laughs> I'm not a good singer. <laughs> For me, I'm like, yeah, I did not nail that at all. Anyway, apologies, everyone. <laughs> Never apologize for being you, Megan. Everyone is now rushing off to sign up to Patreon and sync up Frankie Valley. Exactly. It's only <laughs> it's only a pound a month, friends, and there's over a hundred episodes of Afterthoughts on there. The vast majority have Megan in, so mm-hmm. recommend it, guys. So, Jason Satham, you said it. Let's get back on track. Let's do it. The Transporter Megan, you've seen it? Yes. You remember that he has many license plates? Mm-hmm. I remember enjoying the film, mm-hmm. but I don't really remember anything about it. You remember that he's bald? I do remember that he's bald. And, and that, that he's stocky. Stocky and yeah. ripped. And that he transports things? Yeah. Much like he does at the start of this movie, right? He transports <laughs> a suitcase to Tom Cruise's Vincent. So that is the fan theory. That he is playing Frank Martin, the huh. transporter, at the That's start interesting. of the movie. And Transporter came out only within a year or so of this, didn't it? Yeah. So I think Transporter is maybe 2002 and this is 2004. Mm, yeah. So recording-wise, hmm. it would have been similar. Maybe he was where it was like he was doing filming for Transporter. And they're like, hey, I've got a little... Can you just do a little a little mm. thing? Yeah. yeah I, I, I love... I like those theories. I really like having when you've got films that aren't... I like it when directors do it a lot. I know Tarantino and obviously Kevin Smith does it intentionally, but I like Tarantino's kind of idea that in all his films are either in the same universe as each other or they reference mm-hmm. things. I love it in, because we keep talking about Halloween, I love it in Halloween 
when you watch, I think it's Halloween 3, which is a very odd movie. I did enjoy it. But when they're watching Halloween 1 on mm. the TV, that sort of stuff, it's so silly, but I love it. Um, so that theory of Statham being another character it's like a little Easter egg in it. Mm. Yeah. Nobody's yeah, ever confirmed or denied, so people can choose to believe what they wish. Mm. That's mm. interesting. Transporter 1.5. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in Transport, what, he's in Nice, I think, and then in Transport 2, he has moved to America. So, who knows? And that's, he's in an airport, is he? No, where does he do it? He is in an airport, isn't he? He's called Airport Guy. So yeah. maybe that's literally him. That is him landing in America before the start. <laughs> Instead of a post-credit scene, this is a pre-credit Ooh, scene. Oh, nice. A pre-title screen. There you go. Mm. That's what this is. That's, I can never unsee that now. Now we're going to have to watch all three Transporter movies. Well, I say all three. I think there's more, but the Statham ones. That is correct. Absolutely. Especially number two, which is glorious and is coming out very soon. Yeah. Well, you talking about it has made me want to watch it. Oh, like good. This, if we had infinite time, basically people support me on Patreon and then I get enough time to be able to just watch every film on Back to the Film. If everyone could support Mike <laughs> enough on Patreon that neither of us have to work, <laughs> then we can watch all of these films. Yeah. We need, if everyone gives a pound a month, we need a few, quite a few thousand, but we can do it, guys. <laughs> yeah. Every, every single listener, give us some money, and then we don't have to work, and then we'll release more podcasts. Everyone yeah. wins. Indeed. Is that the main theory with Statham? Because I, when you first said at the start about it, I was thinking, mm. oh, is the theory like he's actually a boss, even above Javier Bardem's character? Maybe mm. he's actually somehow even above... Or maybe he trained Tom Cruise. Maybe he's like so beyond him because that didn't the bag have all the supplies that tom cruise needed because mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. jamie fox threw it out and yeah things. that's why he had to go and get the backup files yeah so maybe it's like he's actually his he's above uh vincent he's actually beyond that he's the hitman who trained vincent Ooh, maybe that's know. what that's what i was kind of thinking you were alluding to with the fan theories i think you can write your own oh i will i'll write my own screenplay <laughs> blackjack and hookers um that's a Futurama reference that you have, you don't know about Megan. Cool, outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing with the Satan is that I can't find any evidence of this anymore. But I swear that I saw that he was up for the role of Vincent. Like Michael Mann was interested in him, until of course a little man known as Tom Cruise. I didn't mean that as a slight on his height, but it came out that way. <laughs> um, became interested himself in the role, and that's why Satan has this weird little small role in it and i can't seem to track down any like evidential truth of this anymore but i've held on to that nugget of information for a long time so i must have read it somewhere at some point so what do you think the movie would have been like should jason statham the state have been vincent i think he's too like rough and ready i think i think the fact that Tom Cruise's portrayal of it he's very just as you say clinical I wouldn't use that word to describe Jason Statham mm-hmm. like he's he's like he's like a lad isn't he like all right Megan yeah all right yeah exactly get your point. <laughs> exactly whereas Tom Cruise isn't isn't like that he's smooth isn't he he's smooth mm. he's like it's almost like uh Tom Cruise is like marble like very finely carved yeah marble, it's whereas- like if you go to a beach and find like just a random rock mm-hmm. that's jason statham if you then take that rock home and put it in one of those like polishing machines mm. that's tom cruise <laughs> yeah we can't say anything better than that can we no i mean <laughs> i would have loved i mean i'd love you know you, to, 
you have not even mentioned this. I don't know why it came up in my brain, but having like um, almost like a crystal ball, being able to see alternate universes. I'd love to just have one where I could watch any film where Jason Statham could be the lead. Oh, just nice. Like yeah, yeah. An infinite multiverse where Jason Statham has basically been the main character mm-hmm. in basically every movie. Could you imagine watching like Captain America and him being mm. Captain America or him being Iron Man? <laughs> well, like I would love to see Statham, not with any of his dodgy accents, but him just being him mm. or in any of these films. I think I would I would just like to see that for fun. But Yeah, absolutely. Pride and Prejudice, that'd be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> I think we'd see him in a Wes Anderson movie because mm. that's very specific and very, and I, I think I'd love to see that. But I don't think this film would have worked as well. It no. would have just become another gangster movie. Mm-hmm. It would have just been another run of the mill gangster film. It wouldn't have been different. I think that the thing is with it as well is that in Megan saying that, I don't disagree, but I mm. also think because of the perception would have done that, that would have inherently changed how people perceive the film as well. Hundred percent. Like so it's one of those almost self-fulfilling prophecies. It's like if you put Statham in a film like this, the film then becomes more like Statham's other movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas with Tom Cruise, although he's a big action Hollywood star, at least at this point in his career, he was still doing a varied roles. He he wasn't just the Mission Impossible guy. He was just he was the running guy. I mean, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. still did a lot of things. Him, Tom Cruise. I think that's one of the things about Hollywood actors when they're really top, like absolute top, like Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, is that them being in a film does not define its genre. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when you have people like Keanu Reeves or Jason Statham or The Rock in a film, it somewhat defines its genre by them being one of the main characters in it in itself defines the film. Mm. So I think it's very insightful, Megan. Yeah, it, it would have changed it. I mean, could you have even had Jamie Foxx? The foil wouldn't have worked, would it? You'd have to have changed that, I think. Mm. Yeah, I don't think his his character development would have been would have worked as well. No, not at against all. Against Statham, no. No, because also he's like, he was a lawyer, wasn't he? Because he does all of the thing to do with like, when he's talking, um, Vincent, was he some sort of lawyer? He has some sort of knowledge. We don't know what his background was. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it could could be. It could be didn't it? I, I always because... assumed it was something military and then he'd gone into... Because but. he talk he talks to the the boss and he's like, well, you can't go for that because mm-hmm. it's X Y Z because it's like accidental damage. You can't. For someone who doesn't remember certain things about films, that is very specific <laughs> knowledge that I'd forgotten for that moment. <laughs> Megan says she doesn't remember anything about this film. I just don't think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think bits like that would have worked with Jason Statham being like, mm. oh yeah, you can't do that, mate, because um, I'm, I'm butchering this. That was a pretty bad accent. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And also, I think it's rude to assume that anyone who speaks like Jason Statham them can't be a lawyer no no that's no that's not what i'm saying here first <laughs> megan says if you're cockney you can't be a lawyer or educated and jason statham who's neither of those things clearly. i just imagine jason statham just walk- i know that again people can't see me but he just like walks around like this everywhere well, like shoulders first yeah like yeah. oh yeah i'm a lad kind of thing i just yeah i can't picture it oh, i wish i hope this podcast like both jack's podcast and genuine chit chat gets so so big and famous that we can have jason statham <laughs> i wish that mm. i wish that i imagine if genuine chit chat got big enough that i could have jason statham on the show and no, I have well, this is about jack Jack's no, I, doing and the I whole just, thing about I literally jason statham. just said and i could have jack on the show <laughs> to meet yeah, but jason surely statham. it'd be jack would have jason statham on his show and you might get invited yeah, but that's not about me though is it? oh my show <laughs> this podcast isn't about you is it <laughs> well jack said at the start it actually was about us so <laughs> yeah. sorry yeah 
I'm here to facilitate the guests, not the other way around. Absolutely. <laughs> so you can't imagine the state of the And I think they're all fair arguments. I mean, obviously, I love the guy. And I think he brings a certain statheness to all his roles. But I don't think it wouldn't have worked in. The, it wouldn't have worked as the film we've got. It would have fundamentally changed the film. And for, for better or worse, we'll never know. And I, too, Mike, would love to see that version of the film to see who would be bouncing off and see how a man would have directed him and maybe much like cruise we don't get the cruise ticks we don't get the cruise persona perhaps we wouldn't have got the state ticks and persona we might have got something really interesting from him and he would have got on to have been not just the state guy who i i'm thankful we've got but maybe would have gone on to be something completely different it's really interesting to think about it mm, that's an interesting theory that maybe you could if you do like a wrap-up of the filmography the final like after you've done the last jason statham film of that point and mm. then move on to another person like what beats in his career have been the most important because mm-hmm. where he started with Guy Ritchie and well, obviously him in Lockstock and then Snatch and the role in Snatch being, uh, was it written for him? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he started with Guy Ritchie, I, I feel like he's always tethered to that. Yeah, it's set him up for that kind of role, hasn't it? Yeah, and I wonder if there's ever a point where you could get out of that because there's a certain actors, like when you say, what was Tom Cruise's first film? Most people don't immediately know it or you think of... um DiCaprio, I think, is probably the best actor in the entire world. He's not necessarily my favourite, but I think he's probably the best. And I think What's Eating Gilbert Grapes, I think, was either his first or one of his earliest ones. I think it's film number three. He's somebody I'm, I'm doing a filmography watch Critters, for funsies. Critters, is it Critters 3 or something? He's That's his first film? <laughs> <For> funsies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he is in... I think he probably is one of the most consistent filmographies out there. Yeah, I think his, I think his, his worst is film is pretty that. special. I think his worst film is The Revenant. And I think... And that's quite a controversial opinion, but I think Tom Hart is probably the only. Isn't film... that the one that he won an Oscar for? Yeah, but that was just because the internet went mental about it. It was he should have won it for Wolf of Wall Street. It's criminal he didn't win it for that. But putting that aside, I, I think with the point I was vaguely making was with DiCaprio. There's not a point in his career that defines who he is. Mm. It's every single <clears throat> film he's ever been in adds to showing how much of a phenomenal actor he's in. Same as Tom Cruise in some ways, and same as Brad Pitt. Whereas the the state is kind of. You see him in lock stock and almost he he goes off that that path for a while and he comes back to it and realizes him almost the his guy Richie him with guy Richie is kind of is what started his career but I feel like it's also some of his best work is when mm-hmm. he works with guy Richie later yeah. on I think it also just depends as as what he wants like obviously mm-hmm. like Jack's already said that he's happy doing this kind of content. Whereas then you get people like Matthew McConaughey that started being in like rom-coms mm. and he wanted to get out of that realm. He didn't want to do that anymore. He didn't want to be just a rom-com artist. And then you've got people like Hugh Grant, which to me, I think, oh, Bridget Jones's Diary, Notting Hill. But then we watched that film, which, Guy which, which is Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, gentleman, yeah. And he's completely different. That changed my perception um, of Hugh Grant permanently. But it depends on what, they what and then you mm. think of also like um like bloody like robert pattinson or like mm. zach efron for example that are in twilight and high school musical and then they've gone off to have their own respective great things because they deliberately wanted to get out of that realm and daniel radcliffe him and, and elijah yeah, daniel wood, radcliffe both uh, elijah wood who plays frodo in i know who elijah wood is mike all right so sometimes i say an actor without <laughs> elaborating and megan goes what earth are you talking about and then anytime i do say who they are they go of course i know who that is it's like you just said you don't know <laughs> actors very well i'm sorry listeners out there anyone who doesn't know who elijah wood is he's frodo in lord of the rings um but obviously they all know who he is mike 
I know. <laughs> I know. I was only doing that as a joke. Uh, but because of both of them being so, you know, they didn't want to be typecast. It was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be Harry Potter and I don't want to be Frodo. So let's do about 20 completely bananas <laughs> let's off do a the play wall. on in london where i have to get completely naked on mm. stage I, yeah or like a, you know he did the woman in black and then he did guns akimbo and things like that i mean go, oh. elijah wood was in a french anthropology movie mm. that i had to i had to study this at university called paris Jatem, and each like episode is one of the like areas of paris mm. and he's mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. one of those segments and it's really fucking weird but that's if he's got a production different. company that makes horror movies, like really independent, offbeat, weird horror movies, that's like his hmm. thing now. Well, Elijah would. That would make sense because his segment's about vampires as well. So mm. well, it's I think I've seen that, yeah. It's weird you say that because today, shout out to Spider-Dan, um, I was listening to Spider-Dan's um, and the Secret Wars, one of his recent mm. uh, episodes. Um, I think... was it Yet to be released if it's the vampire one. Exactly, yeah. And in that... That time of recording, of course. <laughs> uh, and then when... In that, there's a mention of an Elijah Wood produced vampire film that's quite an art housey film, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, Elijah Wood!" And I only today, like hours ago, uh, during my lunch break, if anyone from work is listening, uh, <laughs> it was definitely during my lunch break. Uh, I was listening to that, and I was like, "Oh, Elijah Wood!" So it, it's very bizarre that talking about Statham and Collateral, we've managed to somehow go on a tangent about something that I only found out about today myself. Hmm. Bizarre, meant to be. Yeah. The beauty of the state. He brings everything together. He does. <laughs> All right. So we can't, we're going to wrap up, but I, just, I think this is interesting. We can't, um, we can't imagine the state in the role, but some of the other names that were down for it are really interesting as well. So for Vincent, we could have had Russell Crowe. I don't think I want Russell Crowe in anything. Fair. Let's whiz through these. Russell, Russell Crowe's the one that I don't like in Les Mis, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, I've not seen the Les Mis yeah. movie, but I know that no one likes him in Les Yeah, Les Mis. I can't see him. The only thing we that. think of with Russell Crowe. Was he in Gladiator? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he was also in a recent film we saw, but I won't say what, because I don't think it was, mm, it was a recent yeah, yeah, film we sure. saw at the cinema, and he's sure. in that as a very big role. And is um, not okay. good in it. Not overly, is he? It's a bit weak, but... um. We've only seen three films in the cinema recently, my love. But I don't want to say it <laughs> regardless. Um, I'll oh, tell you afterwards. That, what a lovely thunderous laugh you have, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still is not getting it. No. Um, but with um, with Crow, whenever I think of him, I always just think of the South Park thing. Sure. Which is when he had that controversy of like punching people quite a lot. And I was like, oh, you're a massive mm. dick. And then South Park was does the uh, the little show, which is Russell Crowe fighting around the world. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> Russell Crowe going around punching people. That's all I think of when I think of Russell Crowe now, I think. Oh, I know the f- Okay, yeah, I know what yeah. film you're talking about. Okay. Uh, whenever I think of him, I always think of punching people, being a massive dick, and apparently being terrible in Les Mis, which I've seen the stage performance of on Patreon, uh, but not <laughs> download now. Uh, but <laughs> uh, anyway. I, yeah, I can't I can't imagine Russell Crowe playing that. Part. I don't think I've ever seen Russell Crowe in a movie, and I've been like, he's a great actor. I know he is, because I think, is it Rain Man he's meant to be amazing in? And there's a few other films. Rain Man? It was a Tom Cruise. Movie. Yeah, Beautiful oh, Mind. It's Tom in. Cruise and I, is not, it Dustin Hoffman? Mm. I've not seen Rain Man or Beautiful Mind. <laughs> Rain Man is a fantastic movie. I've heard it's good, but aren't they both vaguely similar about someone who's not um what's the term it is when if someone is for example autistic they're not deemed as it's not the word isn't normal it, it's someone an, with special no spe- it's, like... it's neuro neurotypical that's the word someone who's Ooh. not neurotypical. Neu- neurotypical both rain man and beautiful mind is about someone who's not neurotypical who's uh maybe socially awkward in some ways but very smart am i mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. Is that both? Because mo- I've not seen either, so I always get those two confused. 
I've only seen Rain Man. You've seen them both. You're a media teacher, Jack. Come on. Yes. <laughs> they are similar vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> they are similar vaguely. All right, so no Russell Crowe either. John Travolta? I, 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 the only reason I'd say yes is because of <laughs> the character Vincent Vega. Sure. Which yeah. obviously... So I guess that's probably what is his thought fiction. Oh, oh, yeah. But okay. obviously it wouldn't work because of what happens to him in Pulp Fiction, mm. which... No, it can't be a spoiler for Pulp Fiction, can it? <laughs> not at this the, point, you think? It's released the year we were born, so if you've not seen it by this point, you know, get oh, on man, it. Oh, man, that's scary. <laughs> John Travolta's a weird one because, like, when I think of John Travolta, I either think of Grease or I think of Hairspray. Sure, okay. Oh, I, I mean, that would have been a hell of a movie if he'd been playing the character from Hairspray as Vincent. <laughs> that would have probably... Tracy Turnblad's mum. Yeah. If that was directed by a good... <laughs> If that was directed by someone who, maybe Edgar Wright, if Edgar Wright directed this movie sure. with John Travolta playing Tracy Turnbull. Tracy Turnblad's mum. Tracy Ed, Turnblad's Ed, Edna mum. Turnblad. Because I've seen Hairspray. That would actually be, that would be a very fun, different movie. When I think of Travolta, I think of Pulp Fiction and Face Off. I've not seen Face Off. Well, we will watch it because I think it's on the list up there. And also it's absolutely phenomenal. It's some it top tier cage in that film as well. Absolutely. Cage. All right, three more. Yeah, I'll save one to the end. Colin Farrell? I think he can... Colin Farrell... Is that the guy from In Bruges? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He could have been good, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. he can do almost anything. I think he's a very underrated actor and as in, well. And he's in... The, the, f- the Gentleman. And mm. the Fantastic Beasts. And Beast. Fantastic Beasts. Okay, yeah. yeah. I know who you're talking I think, about. I think Colin Farrell is a phenomenal actor. I think he's one of the other ones I saw him in early in his yeah. career. And I was like, mm. he's all right. And then as he goes on, I'm like, he can really act that guy yeah well, i can see him playing that yeah yeah work. uh oh no so yeah and the stage we've done and the last one that was muted was dicaprio he could have been vincent i think too I, young at that point but i think he's too pretty in some ways if it was now if it was dicaprio mm-hmm. from um sort of django unchained mm-hmm. that, that era of him i think that would work really well obviously they'd probably gray up his hair and make him look older somewhat i think if he played a because he does he does losing his mind quite well he's becoming mm. unhinged he does that very well he does it in loads of movies and I think him with what he does in Django and in Wolf of Wall Street I think if you had more of that if he leaned into the unhinged part all DiCaprio would need is about 10 5 seconds of a certain facial expression or him doing something crazy you know like breaking the glass or things like that and I think the unhinged part would have come off really well. How <laughs> how old would it have to Caprio have been during like what other film what films would have DiCaprio mm. have only, done at this point? It's only a few point? years after Titanic. It's only a few years, five after Titanic. years after Titanic. So this is production wise. Yeah, so he probably the beach is probably about the right sort uh, of so era. Yeah, he yeah, so he's still quite young. Yeah, I agree. Mm. You like for someone to be that that established of a hitman, mm-hmm. they have to have some sort of background and like experience within it. I so think, I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. And just, I'm just desperately trying to get him up on IMDb. I think also something like, um, like Catch Me If You Can, which he is phenomenal in, not playing that. all the different roles that he does. You seen Catch Me If You Can? I think I have. Maybe, but he plays like somebody who's like six. I think the film is a long time span. I won't spoil it, Mike. But he plays somebody who's like sixteen through to, you know, the early mid twenties. Oh, okay. If he's playing that role in that movie at the same time, I think it's a bit beyond him at this point. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think DiCaprio is one of those guys who he can do anything mm-hmm. if he put his mind to it. But he 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 has to work in the in the film, you know. For example, this sounds a bit weird, but like he couldn't be one of the um, protagonists of Twelve Years a Slave. He's not that good of an actor to completely sure. change anything like that. But with anything else, I think if his character suited it, he would be 
phenomenal, but yeah, age-wise, mm. it needs to work, as Megan very more eloquently than I put it, but it, just maturity. All right, so before I get your final review, I'm going to drop in a couple of letterbox ones that I found. So we have one by Ian West, and he says, I haven't watched this in 10 years or more. And yeah, Bleeding Skylines, Palm Trees, The Damn Coyote, Sociopathic, Sociopathic, Assassin Tom Cruise, That Club Scene, This Thing Has Such a Pulse. Michael Mann's Terminator still owns, which we didn't talk about, but was in the back of my mind. I think that's a really interesting reference point. Oh, because yeah, I mentioned about Terminator 2, didn't I? Mm. Running. That's interesting. The relentless yeah. nature of Vincent and the like, unstoppable nature, yeah. Mm. It links with what you were saying about the horror thing, because that's mm. what I think, like, what James Cameron does with Aliens and Terminator is mixing horror with another genre, normally sci-fi-esque, uh, which he does really well. Mm. All right, Sydney says uh, he was blown away by this. Not only is Fox and Cruise's chemistry off the charts, but what a patient and symbolic thrill ride that ends with such a bang. Their dialogue is dripping with meaning and suspense. That was all caps dripping, by the way. <laughs> Cruise is, I should have gone dripping. Cruise is a terrifying <laughs> malevolent force and Fox is just a guy, both stagnant and solitary, but one of them has a chance to take the leap out. No definitive answers like life, but certainly a lot to think about. Really cool and really haunting. And what I like in this one is that it's the people he references. So man, this director, Refin and the Safties seem to be a nice generational trio of gritty, kinetic, neo-noir underworlds. And I think I'm about to get major tunnel vision. And I think those three directors, or four, because the Safdies are brothers, are an interesting comparison. I don't know if you've watched much Nicholas Wind and Refin movies. You've probably seen Drive with Ryan Gosling. I have. I I think that's a brilliant movie. It's on our list, but Megan hasn't seen it yet. I have. I think that's the kind of film she has to be in the right mindset for. Sure. Because I feel like that kind of film... If she watches that and she's not wanting to watch it, mm-hmm. it's it's a film she won't like. Mm-hmm. But if you pay attention and you're wanting to watch it, it's a very, very good movie. Mm. Yeah. I would also just go for the assumption that I probably haven't seen any of the films. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the Safdies did Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. That's their most famous movie. I've heard that movie is Adam Sandler's best film, but I've oh, not man. actually seen it's it. tense. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that film. In fact, my What's it bro- called? Uncut Gems. No. You, were you thinking of the depressing Adam Sandler film? No, I just didn't hear what the name of the film oh. was. Because <laughs> oh, Adam Sandler, is, I think it's Rain Over Me. Is that Adam Sandler? Yeah. 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 That's the, he's a fire 9-11 movie, yeah. Yeah. Which I've heard, there's like a, a small handful of films that Adam Sandler does incredible acting in. Punch Drunk Love is my favourite of his. With um, I don't, I'm trying to think. There's so many of them. With Paul Thomas Anderson. Not mm. Wes Anderson and not Paul W.S. Anderson, with Paul Thomas Anderson, who's like Magnolia <laughs> and There Will Be Blood. And so he did a rom-com with Adam Sandler. Mm. Interesting. Well worth checking out. All right, we're nearly there. Uh, Nick says, Collateral is what happens when mainstream action thriller meets art house noir. Michael Mann's inherent endeavours to stylize everything he touches is simply a blessing. And on top of Oscar-worthy acting from Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise, Collateral is, for sure, one of the most memorable action thrillers of the 2000s. He writes a lot more, but we'll stop there. I mean, Art House is not in any way how I would describe this film. No? I would describe this... No, I mean, I... Megan 
Megan's got a little thing, which is if something's art house or a cult classic, she generally won't like it, even mm-hmm. if she doesn't know it before <laughs> no, watching it. No, that's not it. true. It just seems to be a trend of Gen- Generally, if a film is deemed as a cult classic, and it's not because, as, as Mike said, it's not because I've heard it's a cult classic, no, no. and there I'm like, oh, I'm mm. not going to like it. It's just that, generally, those films are so hyped up. Like like Fight Club, for example. She doesn't like it very much. I don't. I don't like Fight Kills Club. Me. I uh, don't. I don't like Pulp Fiction. But I argue Pulp Fiction is actually not a cult classic because. What about a... Kill Bill? No, Tarantino's a weird one. He's kind of the. He's probably like the most famous cult classic maker ever. It's really bizarre. It kind of depends because with art, I would class this as art house. Art? You think Tarantino's art? No, house? no, no, no. This film, Collateral. We're we oh. talking about the film that we're so, talking about. Right, art house for me. When I think of art house, the first two films I think of is Let the Right One In. Um, which mm-hmm. might be because mm-hmm. of the vampire conversation again with Spider Dan, um, but it was let the right one in. I think of I think of a film called Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, yeah, which I was not a fan of. I saw it in the cinema as well, and that's for me is too art housey. And let the right sure. one in, I think, is perfectly art housey. And I, I feel like if you took the coyote scene out of this, I don't know how, and maybe fifteen seconds of the ending, I personally don't even know how you would put any part of this as art house. Because me, art house is taking your time, clever, brilliant shots, often either a lot of music or almost no music. Like, um, was it? It's not. It's killing in the. It's killing in the name of. It's, it's a film with Brad Pitt. It's about kill me softly, killing me softly. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'd class that more as an art housey sort of film because there's some shots in that that are fucking amazing mm-hmm. and so beautifully done, and a lot of maybe very well used slow mo mm-hmm. and. I think that works, and like the rain scenes and things. I think that would be art house But this, this is like... I would, de- I would definitely class it, and as much as I hate it because it's my surname, I would definitely class it as gritty. Mm. Mm. And I, I hate it when my surname gets used as an adjective. But Nitty gritty is your least <laughs> um, favourite, And it? yeah, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, like, rough. Is, there, is, that a right, is that a right word? Kind of. I think it's because it's kind of almost underground-ish in the sense of it's Hitman it's killing dark. people. Yeah, it's yeah, just dark. Well, it's one of the first kind of digital movies, like pure digital. I know, like, obviously, Lucas was a pioneer, but in terms of having the camera at the stage where it's going to be from this point moving forwards, man was quite a, a, a key pioneer in that. And you can tell it in the scenes where things do look grainy maybe perhaps look a bit grainy but also you get that depth of field you can see really far back into la skyline and it's all twinkly lights and it looks like it's in focus which you just can't do with old school filmmaking so man was an early adopter of this format and this is one of the first films that uses it yeah i don't think he did any i don't think any of the cinematography is bad at all i'd say there weren't much cinematography i'd say was actively bad there's a couple of plot beats that maybe don't make a huge amount of sense in mind because obviously we've already delved into that but i think some of the shots as we said near the start mm. the Jamie Foxx speaking to um, Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, that part you can see, you know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, the cinematographer or director of photography or just director knows what they're doing with shots. That it mm. wasn't, it didn't feel like there was any problems with that. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree in that regard, but I, mm. I would not, if you'd have asked me to describe this film in a hundred film that, terms, I wouldn't have used. That might words. be what people that, that's referencing there, though, is is that sense of like it's doing something new it's pushing the boundaries it's it's taking the art form somewhere where it hadn't gone before from a big name director as well i think it is a big deal so maybe that's what they're talking about and he's stuck to digital ever since actually mm. it, oh, slightly offbeat if you like killing me softly and you like the idea of i'm, I'm thinking of let the right one in and not as far as under the skin 
um, watch the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is the same director as Killing Me Softly, Andrew mm-hmm. Dominic. That is a slow, meandering, I mean that in a positive way, uh, introspective view on the Western myth and what, what who Jesse James was. Mm, yeah, because I think I've never who he seen really is. the Amazing. name of that film and being like, whoa, that's a long <laughs> yeah. title. Uh, well, uh, the title kind of suggests the experience you're going to get, to be fair. Yeah, I, I would say last thing with uh, Art House esque mm. is uh, makes me think of kind of uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think that for me is enough Art Housey. It's just, it, it takes its time. I think Art House does a lot. And I think of that film does. It doesn't have to have guns blazing and loads of crazy stuff to happen to have deep cuts. I mm. think for me, that's part of it. All right, my last review, because I've got to get him in. Good old Lou, Lou Shoemaker, who I'm going to have to try and get in touch with because I'm using him every time because he beat me by a couple of years watching all the Jason Statham movies and logged them all on Letterboxd. <laughs> so he says, Jason Statham was in this for maybe five seconds. He's the guy who hands Tom Cruise's briefcase at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the only thing to say about him here is that a fan theory is that he's playing Frank Martin, his character from the Transporter movies. Like all fan theories, People took this too far and started insisting that he was literally playing Frank Martin here and even went so far as to update tmdb.org. I'd never heard of this. And thereby Letterboxd, I think it's the, uh, on Letterboxd, and if you guys use it, you could be like, you can pay him, have a certain level. If you go up high enough, it can like, it can pull in all the information from like IMDb. Oh, right. To say, you know, like people like to have all the names of the actors and stuff so that you can track how many you've seen and all that kind of thing. So I think this is the system that helps that to work. Uh, to credit him as Frank Martin in this. But I went back and fixed it. So I like the fact that, you know, this guy's committed. So I really need to at some point try and <laughs> try, try and see if he's available online and if he wants to come on and chat, chat the stay. 100%. That, that would be a really fun thing to do. All right. So for you guys, though, because this is what we're here for. for. For you, that was their views. But for you... In terms of Jason Statham's filmography, from what you know of your six and your eight, if I remember correctly, hmm. would you deem this a classic movie, something worth catching, or for completists only? And is this in? Is this just our view of this movie as a whole, or this as a Jason Statham movie? As a Jason Statham movie. Oh, it's it's <laughs> completists only. It's it. It's almost. I mean, I'm glad we did this and recorded it because the film was very enjoyable, regardless mm-hmm. of my critiques. And yeah, speaking it's, with not, you it's not a Jason Statham not movie. Even, no, I mean, as you said, well, I think I've already said it, but like Mike literally had to be like, yeah, that was him. Because mm-hmm. I, I genuinely did blink and miss it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would say in the realm of that, but I will put an asterisk next to it and just mm-hmm. quietly say, I think if excluding the, the filmography element of this, of those three things, I would probably lean more on classic to be honest i think regardless of the flaws this is a film worth watching mm-hmm. I, I think people should give this a go and it does a lot right mm-hmm. which i appreciate great thank you very much oh and of course we cannot forget mike i nearly went there and i didn't I, I forgot in terms of our four categories with the state as well that you set up for me i do appreciate yes. it obviously we don't have any in this occasion it doesn't snog anyone it doesn't shag anyone he doesn't slay anyone, and we don't get to see any skin, sadly, because it's just not long enough. Imagine if you fit all that into a minute. That would have been quite <laughs> impressive. That, that would be cool. I mean, this is obviously this is not the case, but you could mm-hmm. maybe argue that anyone Tom Cruise kills before losing the briefcase mm-hmm. is due to Statham from providing him with those things. But I think if you go into indirect kills in the filmography, <laughs> you'd take Jesus. hours trying to figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. It's been good fun. 
do you want to let people know what they can expect from you in the near future? This, this is, is due out part. due out in three weeks, I think. So middle to late August. Well, Megan loves uh, a talking about herself. And she <laughs> adores doing that, and also the only thing she likes doing more than talking about herself is promoting herself on <laughs> promoting my instagram account that doesn't really get much attention at the moment you've recently you've had a bit of a bit of a rebirth my you? well the last time i posted was about two weeks ago well this is coming which is three when... weeks so currently <laughs> oh, yeah. it might be five weeks ago <laughs> i i'll probably post a picture of the dog within this time but yeah it's been a while but yeah i'm on i'm on instagram i might post from time to time it depends on well, when this comes out you can... on where i am but it's uh yeah grits gets fit there I am. That's where I am. You can find me there. Yeah, and uh, okay. If you follow her, you may occasionally see photos of me. Uh, but if you want to see photos of Megan more frequently, it's probably best to follow me on uh, Instagram <laughs> and keep an eye on my stories because on the very rare occasions we'll have that. And if you want to see our our puppy as well, I've been posting a few po- photos of that. A lot more of them on Patreon. I've kept a few cute yeah. ones. Oh, that's where you can <laughs> find me, Patreon. Yeah, Megan is so so amazing. I'm behind a paywall, mm. Mm. which you know. You get only a few people like that. Russell Brand's behind a paywall. Uh, Sam Harris behind a paywall. Megan Gritty behind a paywall. <laughs> so, you know, top tier podcasters of the sort of, <laughs> of the 21st century. Um, but yeah, follow me on social media at Genuine Chits Chat, Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Um, obviously, my show, Genuine Chits Chat. I've had Jack on uh, more than once, in fact. And I've got my other show, Star Wars Comics in Canon, which is obviously on the feed of Comics in Motion. Uh, and you never have to read a single Star Wars comic in your entire life. If you just like Star Wars in general and you enjoy the movies, check out my show. I do character information. I go through the comics, talk about the plot details and things like that. And then various connections to increase your canon knowledge. Genuine Chit Chat, uh, speak to a different guest on every episode. I've spoken to fellow podcasters such as Jack and many members of Comics in Motion. I've also spoken to a lot of people to do with Star Wars. A lot of people, nothing to do with Star Wars. Uh, and recently, the episode that's just been released will have been... Um, or the last month or so will be an episode with Mandy Wong, who is an animator and artist. And I think she's a friend of Rhea's actually. It's how I got into contact with her. Mm. Uh, so, and she was absolutely delightful. Uh, and then there's also, um, it sounds like a bit wheezy, doesn't it? When I'm breathing in oddly. Hear that? Um, <laughs> not sure why. Getting too excited about the state. Um, and then also I did an episode with Mary Kenny, who is actually a senior writer at Insomniac Games. And she was one of the writers for Spider-Man Miles Morales. Mm. And she's currently writing the Wolverine game as well. And she's got a book out called Gamer Girls. So lots of reasons. Basically, listen to Genuine Chit Chat because I have a wide variety of guests talking about a wide variety of things. So you look through the back catalogue, you'll find something that you'll enjoy. If only random appearances from Megan when she feels like it uh, but follow me on social media or yeah patreon.com slash genuine chit chat and you will 100% get Megan three times a month normally on there because I occasionally do book reviews without you because you don't read Star Wars books so having your review of it would just Correct. be it's alright but yeah you want to hear Megan <laughs> sing it's behind a paywall 33p per appearance do you know what I mean like what a bargain that is you know <laughs> absolute bargain phenomenal you know in a few years time people listen to that it'll be the same price as a freddo so uh you know think about how much fuel costs guys at the moment in the Mm. moment okay think about for one pound a month so literally less than a liter of fuel you get access to hours of megan ripping me Mm. (laughs) to shreds and putting me in my place let that Um, joy drive you forwards in life it's delightful (laughs) And, and thank you so much jack for having us on it's always delightful speaking with you and there's going to be many things in the future we're going to plan, as well as this is probably not going to come out for a year, but 
Obviously, we did the Star Wars Visions conversation, mm. uh, which is delightful. And they've announced a series two of that. So unless it's like a billion episodes, if there's nine again, we'll do it in one episode. If there's more, we'll potentially have to split it. But I'll, what, I'll try and make sure we do another podcast before then. And it's not going to be when we come on to do the Meg. We'll try and do some other stuff. Uh, but it's always delightful collaborating with you. You too. Both of you. Yeah, lots to look forward to. All right. Thank you, everyone else, for listening and partaking in this journey with me through the Stace filmography. That was, of course, collateral. Next up in a fortnight is Cellular, followed by Transporter 2 for anyone that is watching along. I've been I'm Jax Musings, that's J-A-C-S, and you can find me on Twitter where I'm most active. You can also contact the show directly on Twitter under the name Back to the Film Og. Make sure you use the hashtag FollowTheFilmography. This show has been presented to you by the Pop Gorillas, a collection of hive minds who provide spoiler-free reviews of anything from pop culture and less time than it takes to listen to a song. I'm also a proud member of the Comics Emotion family, alongside these lovely people. A super place full of the world's greatest people, dedicated to bringing you podcasts on a variety of geeky topics. So please make sure you take the time to search, subscribe, and rate our shows whenever and wherever you listen. Until next time, be excellent to each other, and make sure you take the time to treat yourself too. I am Jack signing off. Yippee-ki-yay, movie lovers.